Welcome to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. Tonight featuring Coast to Coast AM from September 14th, 1995. From the high desert and the great American Southwest, I bid you all good evening or good morning across all these many time zones. Tahiti, Hawaii, in the West, the Caribbean, the newly threatened Caribbean in the East, the U.S. Virgins. I don't know. It's a rough hurricane season, folks. South into South America, north to the pole, we think. This is Coast to Coast AM. Live talk radio. Unscreened talk radio. Unpredictable. Unusual. Even at times a little weird. But fun. Definitely fun. And uh, that is part of my plan on radio to have fun. Again, after all, you ought not be doing it. And tonight I would like to welcome uh, W-H-E-D-A-M in Foley, Alabama. Scorching into Mobile and Pensacola, uh, Mobile, Alabama and Pensacola, Florida. They will be carrying the program from, well, let me see. I guess they carry, the, well, I don't know. It doesn't say here. We'll have to ask somebody there. Looks like total carriage, though, and... Um, Dreamland as well. So, welcome to the program. Good to have you. And then also, uh, that'd be affiliate number 110, incidentally. 111 would be KYLR AM in Huntsville, Texas. That's uh, KYLR AM in Huntsville, Texas. I'm not exactly sure where Huntsville is. I'm sure we'll be told. Now, I have a number of uh, major announcements tonight. The first major announcement is, beginning as of this moment, and until we reach the number 1,000, which will occur very quickly, my book is out. It's called The Art of Talk. In my book, I cover my long, unusual career in radio. I talk uh, specifically and to great, at great length about this program and behind the scenes of talk radio. It is an autobiographical kind of thing, and I, uh, you'll see pictures of me as a... You know, I, one of the photos they put in there, I look like the most angry little tyke that anybody's ever seen. Um, at any rate, it's a, uh, it's a wonderful book. The book is uh, a hardcover book. It has had um, custom artwork, no pun intended, uh, done for the cover. It's beautiful, absolutely beautiful. The um, uh, the book quality is first rate. The uh, the page, the print, and the color photographs are all done in gloss. I mean, this is the whole project, as you know, has been ongoing for many, many months now. And um, so here it is. Here's the offer. And this, believe me, is only going to go to the first 1,000 people because I'm not signing any more than that. But the first 1,000 people who order, and we have no telephone number for you to order, I'm going to give you an address. And you need to send a check or money order for $24.95 each, you know, for each book you would like, plus $4 shipping and handling. You know, I ought to just add that. And uh, make it twenty-eight ninety-five. It's a lot easier. 
so that people don't have to do the arithmetic. It's $28.95, and that includes shipping and handling. So that'll make it easier. Now, this is just an offering to um, some, some of you who want the book right away and want an autographed copy of the book. Otherwise, not to worry. There will be a uh, 800 number available for credit card purchases sometime after October 6th. This is just a very special sort of first group offering, all right? Only the first 1,000. And so speed, obviously, is of um, at the essence. And if, in other words, if um, you become 1,000 in one or two or three, and it's going to go very quickly through 1,000, obviously, um, you're not going to get an autographed copy. So I'm, I'm going to be stressing this tonight. Now, I want to read you something because I'm going to do something a little different uh, here in a moment, maybe. I got, uh, thank God for the Internet, I got a very interesting fax from a fellow named Stan Dale, I think it's Dale, all the way down in Perth, Australia. That's the thing about the Internet, it's everywhere. And here's what he said. Art, my home is too far away to receive your program. I'm in Perth, Australia. But my brother in Tacoma, Washington, speaks very highly of your show and your methods of exploring the data you encounter. I was recruited by Edward Teller's man, Dr. James R. Maxfield, in Dallas in 1971. This took me to Australia to continue my research into advanced propulsion systems for aircraft and spacecraft. Not long into the program, I disagreed violently with the cover-up of our findings and developments which, which I knew could have greatly benefited mankind. I was not at Roswell. I have never seen an alien, to my knowledge. However, I have been involved in advanced research projects which would explain a lot of the so-called UFOs around the planet. We've had over 50 R&D programs, black, since the mid-50s that were set up to make circular winged aircraft and spacecraft. The former worked on ionized plasmas of CO2 seeded nitrogen envelopes in dynamic motion around and through the core of a disc-shaped craft. The latter used a form of pulsed toroidal magnetic fields to move the craft in space, water, or air. I have seen the inside of one of our own toroidal craft in an assembly area in the desert. There have been numerous test areas that operated under NATO banners and others. One was in Saudi Arabia and uh, was called and I can't make out the name of it, west of the Persian Gulf, and in Bahrain as well. I've always known enough to be dangerous to the several factions involved in the use and cover-up of the technology and the alien scenario. Fortunately, someone in these factions has spared me. I bet in exile here in the most remote city on Earth. 
I do not know how much more I can contribute to the revelation of the truth in these matters, which seem to occupy a great deal of the human consciousness in the Western world of late. I was a cadet at the USAF Academy in Colorado, class of 67. I uh, held both secret and top-secret security clearances for our government. There I was involved in a most unique mind training program, which is still classified above top secret. Believe me when I tell you that I encourage you in your search for the truth in these matters. But I also caution you to ask yourself, what will you do when you find out? Will you like the answer? Will you wish you had not found out? I sometimes wonder what it would be like to live life in a sort of oblivious, lemming-like pursuit of worldly stimuli, not knowing what to do, not having seen the things I have seen, things which I cannot prove anymore, but things which are so bizarre that I marvel they have not leaked out in all this hype about the aliens in Area 51. No one seems to have realized the real UFO research areas are not accessible by laypersons. They're under lakes, under bodies, and under the planet's poles in underground facilities. Some are here in Australia, in the middle of nowhere, at Pine Gap, underground, and in South Africa. But the most sensitive ones are at the South Pole. Keller's group used to control most of these until another faction grabbed control of the international groups. Now, I found this to be fascinating, and so... You know me. I picked up the uh, telephone and called Australia. That's right, I called Australia. And in a moment, I'm going to try to pick up the phone and call Australia again. No guarantees. But I'm going to see if I can get Stan on the air for a little bit here and talk to us about what he knows. What has banished him to Perth in the uh, land down under? <laughs> There's nothing like going to the other side of the world, and I think that I have connected with Stan. So let us let us give it a shot, and uh, to the land down other, under we go, uh, Perth, Australia. And to Stan, is it Stan Deo? Is it Deo, Stan, or how do we uh, pronounce your last name? That's correct, Art. Thank you very much. Um, wonderful, and uh, welcome to the program. Stan, I found the facts... Uh, excuse me, the, um, uh, the piece of email that you sent me across this wonderful Internet we've got, fascinating. And so I want to ask you in person for the audience a little bit of um, w w some of what is contained in the facts. I mean, it is a absolutely incredible. Um, first of all, how did you become involved with these kinds of aircraft, uh, with these kinds of spacecraft, with this kind of research, what were you doing that got you involved? Well, first of all, I went to the Air Force Academy as a cadet, and at, while I was at the academy, I was inducted into a uh, special um, oh, black project, I suppose would be the best word to use, an intelligence project, which did teach me a lot of physics that is not mainline stuff. Um, when I left the academy, uh, I went back to, to Dallas, Texas, where I was uh, raised, and uh, a few years passed, and I did private research um, in developing a new kind of propulsion for aircraft that would um, 
in essence, make a circular winged uh, uh, flying disc uh, using a plasma, uh, a moving plasma over the surface of the wing. All right, uh, say, all right. Already, uh, Stan, you're going to get ahead of me. Now we've sorry. got to reduce this down to what the average person can understand. I'm a little technically minded, but when you begin talking about new propulsion systems, explain to a layman how that might work. Well, um, all right. Uh, most aircraft uh, have to race down a runway until they can get the relative airspeed up to the point that it lifts the craft off the the ground, uh, mm -hmm. reducing the pressure over the top of the wing. Right. These kind of craft that I was designing did not have to have uh, a runway. They were like a vertical takeoff device that would whirl the air around them in a vortex, uh, out to center and around and underneath. And like a bumblebee, they would then lift into the air and fly uh, by pulling a vacuum in front of them. They never pushed their way through the air. They could go very fast, um, somewhat like a smoke ring um, at um, 20,000 miles an hour. Oh, my God. Um can you tell us where this research took place? Well, what I was doing was in my, my own uh, uh, my private lab at home, uh, a lot of mathematics and some electronics tests. I never really figured out how they knew exactly what I was doing, but uh, Teller and Maxfield's people from Lawrence Livermore approached me privately okay. and knew everything I was doing. Uh, they, they had been there and done that in the, in the mid-50s, a long time before me. So, um, All right. How did that, uh, as they approached you, um, on what basis did they take you way down to Australia? Well, Maxfield, Dr. Maxfield's exact words were something to the effect of, um, my boy, don't ask now, just understand that Australia is the place for you to finish your research, not here. We're going to make everything available for you there and send you down there, which they did do. Mm-hmm. Look, they had had over 50 projects like this since the mid-50s in the United States, or at least started there. Some had moved offshore down to the South Pole and into Australia, apparently uh, in, in near the, the center of Australia. Um, I did not know about those until they told me. I didn't even know they existed until these guys, uh, you know, collared me. I still don't to this day know how they found out what I was doing. You say here, I was not at Roswell. I've never seen an alien, to my knowledge. Now, yep. uh, the craft that you're describing, that you say that we have, uh, are exactly the craft that are being seen all over the world and are be being called, frankly, flying saucers. Uh, is, would it be your contention or belief that most, if not all of these, belong to us? Um, mm, let me divide it this way. Uh, before... Before 1952, I don't believe that any of the sightings uh, or contacts were ours or, or were man-made. After that, yes, a, a great deal of them. But in 1958, uh, worldwide research in, in over 100 companies and universities across the planet working in those propulsion systems and publishing, I might add, in the trade journals, electronics journals and aerodynamics journals, stopped. Stopped publishing in, in the same month all across the world as though some invisible hand had put a muzzle on them, not just the U.S. government. It went across national boundaries. And after that, public information was about zilch on electrogravitic propulsion or anti-gravity. <laughs> all right. Is that what it is, Stan? Is it, is it actually anti-gravity? And I guess I've got to have you explain it again. If it's anti-gravity, can you explain how it, how it works? Can you, again, remember, we're just poor lay people. All right, two things. Uh, when I first started this, I was designing an aircraft um, uh, which used um, air that had been uh, slightly heated in temperature, uh, well, heated a lot, 
um, and had electric uh, current running through it over the top of the, the saucer shape, and this caused the air to move in a, in a tight pattern around the craft and up to the core and, and swirl like a bumblebee. It's like instead of having a propeller, you have electrons moving the air around the craft. Now, that's an aircraft. Um, later developments, or in fact, the earlier developments, I didn't know about the time, in the uh, U.S. research, had developed some very complex uh, toroidal coils, um, uh, ring-shaped, smoke ring-shaped flat coils. Um, they look somewhat like the pharaoh's he- uh, headband, if you can hmm. remember that, where they've got the the little stripes running around the headband of the pharaoh's uh, little ring that he used to wear on his head. Yes. Uh, anyway, these craft uh, did use a very complex um, interactive pulse electric current and, and magnetic field, and they generated an effect that would, in effect, um, uh, bend gravity. Now, I didn't develop those. I came along afterwards. I did see photographs and had it explained to me in the assembly area. But basically what happens is they they can use a very small power source and pulse it at the frequency that is just right for the circuit they've designed in the craft, and it will store up energy in the form of moving um, uh, magnetic fields and, and current which switches from one circuit to another at right angles. You know, Stan, I've got to stop you here for a second. You know what you're describing sounds uh, remarkably like what was described to me in simpler technical terms with regard to that old famous Philadelphia experiment. Uh, I've, of course, interviewed Al Bielek many times. And what, he, and what he talked about is fairly close to what I seem to be getting from you. Did Al say that, did he? Well, something close to it. Uh, in other words, um, pulsing uh, magnetic uh, fields uh, with RF, uh, rotating RF fields I, I, at a yep. cer- certain frequency. Does that sound familiar? Yep, yep. Very close. I am familiar with the Philadelphia experiment. Uh, so then the technology that you heard used there is close to what you are describing now. Yes. As I said to you in the uh, letter, um, uh, Dr. Frederick Tatford, Atomic Energy Commission in uh, London, yes. contacted me a couple years back. He was a friend of Einstein's, and he and uh, Dr. Einstein had discussed the Philadelphia experiment and the implications of it. And they wanted, well, he was dead by that time. But then Dr. Tatford said to me, "I would like for you to explain to me what you think happened, uh, and I will, within the, the boundaries, what I'm allowed to tell you, confirm it." Which I did do, and he confirmed that I had understood the process correctly. Um, all right, Stan, we have a great echo, of course, and a great time difference and a great geographic difference. So I'm going to ask you to hold on. Um, we're here at the bottom of the hour. There will be four minutes of silence. Don't let it bother you. Just stay right where you are, which, which happens, by the way, everybody, to be Perth, Australia. You're listening to Art Bell, somewhere in time on Premier Radio Networks. Tonight, an encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM from September 14th, 1995.
You're listening to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. Tonight featuring a replay of Coast to Coast AM from September 14th, 1995. Here I am. My guest is Stan Dale. He's in Perth, Australia. He's there for a very good reason. We'll explore that in a moment. Now, back to Perth, Australia, and Stan Dale. Uh, Stan, um, are we still connected? Yes, Art. Um, I don't have any echo on my side. Do you on your side? Um, only occasionally. It's actually a better connection, Stan, than I get uh, sometimes uh, with Las Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it's a good connection. There is a little bit of a delay. Uh, that's not a big problem. Now, you know, we are the most remote city on Earth. Uh, is that true? That's true. Uh, what time is it there, by the way? It's uh, 2.37 in the afternoon on Friday. And I can tell you, it's sunny. You'll have a good Friday. <laughs> well, if the weather pattern's old. Um, listen, now, how many years did you work on these kind of craft? In the States, probably about um, three or four. In the, I guess I did work on them from about 68, 69 uh, to 71 when they sent me down to, um, to Australia. And I uh, made contact with my intelligence crew down here. Would it be your view that the uh, technology in the Philadelphia experiment was the genesis of what led toward uh, the kind of work you did? If not, it was certainly a main part of it because there were other offshoots to propulsion. Uh, there's a way to convert just uh, heat energy from the surrounding uh, environment using something similar in, in a pumped action like that. So a lot of things came out of the Philadelphia-type research. All right. Well, I have always thought that it would be impossible, even if everything about the Philadelphia experiment were true and men caught between decks and um, all, the, all the horrible things that we heard about, that they would just drop the technology and quit investigating. That seemed impossible. And what you're telling us is they didn't. That's correct. So it, you're kind of like uh, where the Philadelphia experiment went. Uh, I guess I would uh, think of you that way. Now, um, we've got these craft, and they're flying about. Why has this technology not yet been made available? Because, my God, it would be a power source. It would be all kinds of things that would uh, benefit mankind. Why don't we know about it except from you? Well, Art, you sound kind of like I did back in 1973 or 74 down here when I really got cranky with uh, the fellows that I work for here in that area because I said to them the very same thing. Why aren't we sharing this? There are people that need this technology just to survive. Hundreds of millions of people need it. And uh, they kind of told me uh, that I didn't understand the situation about the factions, the, the groups that are vying for control of the, the entire planet and that they couldn't just release this because it would create havoc and precipitate wars. Um, I didn't buy it, um, and that's where we, we parted company um, in, in very unfriendly terms. Um, I wanted to make it public, which I have certainly started doing, and they didn't. Well, you are, and I should tell the audience, an author, you have written something called The Cosmic Conspiracy and The Vindicator Scrolls. What are those books? Well, the, the first book I wrote 18 years ago as kind of life insurance, um, I, I, I named names, and they've never, ever come back on me. I, I've talked about Teller Maxfield, Sir John Williams, a lot of them that were involved in, in my particular intelligence group um, in the cover-up. And I wrote that book so that um, they would know that I, 
was prepared to tell that much and would go further if they didn't get off my back. And so we came to a stalemate for 18 years. Now a lot of those guys are not even in power anymore, or if they are, they're, they're not quite as strong as they used to be. And so I think it's probably time to say more. Um, well, okay, I would like you to be able to use your own words and tell us what you know exists and uh, where it is. In other words, tell us as much as you can, and um, would you view yourself as putting yourself in danger right now by doing this? No more than going into traffic in New York City at rush hour. <laughs> Is that because you're in Perth, Australia, and not here? No, no. Believe me, uh, there's, there's no way you run from some of the crowds if they want to get you. Um, it's because there are factions, fighting factions, and some of them are covering me at the moment that um, I'm quite... Uh, I'm, you know, unassailed by all this. Uh, where to start? Well, let me put it this way. We have technology to make and have made uh, flying saucers. Uh, that's the simplest way to say it. They are saucer-shaped. Some of them are triangular with kind of rounded corners. Mm -hmm. um, the Aurora projects that everyone thinks are, are so secret and, and wonderful are nifty, but they are 10 to 12 years out of date. Um, certainly, you, you, you couldn't possibly believe that they would let something like that leak out like this unless it were out of date. I mean, even, even the model makers are, are selling models of the Aurora secret craft. But um, they used portions of technology that were used a long time ago in building the first saucer craft. And the portions are like high-voltage charges on the, uh, the fuel stream and on the wings, uh, up over um, uh, definitely up over 20,000 volts, and in some cases probably point voltages of 15 million. But, and they used uh, barium titanate shields on them. These things are old technology. Uh, the the newer craft uh, are being controlled by groups. I, I couldn't even begin to tell you the names of the, the current controllers. But in my day, the United States and Great Britain still had a fairly hard control over where this technology was going. We had bases in Norway. We had them in Jabal Tawak in Saudi Arabia, uh, west of Bahrain, uh, all underground. Uh, we had uh, uh, research being done here at Pine Gap in the center of Australia and another one which is called the Star Trek of the North in the Kimberley regions of the mountains of northern Australia. Um, we had them down at the South Pole. Uh, Dr. Uh, Maxfield in Dallas showed me photographs taken in their submarine trips down there to, to reach the bases. Um, some of these bases where the really good stuff has gone on is just totally inaccessible by you uh, as a civilian. Um, oh, my God. Uh, we have... All of, the, all of this going on uh, right under our noses, in fact, under our earth, is what you're saying. Uh, a great deal of it, yes. It has, they have broadened their horizon since then and moved uh, above the ground, but um, in those days, yeah. All right. Uh, what was, Stan, the latest craft that you had anything to do with? What were its capabilities? What could it do? Uh the ones that I that I actually designed and drew papers up for the Aeronautical Research Group was uh, a, a an aircraft that superheated air. Uh, it was slow starting. It would it would throw the air up out a hole in the middle of the saucer shape like a donut, splash it around the, the surface down underneath, and recirculate the air, as I say, like a bumblebee spinning or like a smoke ring. And we would inject a six percent CO2 solution in a nitrogen gas envelope in the center of that, and that's how we would start it and make it a, an electric plasma like it's in fluorescent lights. And that's why they glow, or, or those type did. Now, that's, that's what I was working on because I had not come to the level yet of, of these pulse magnetic field craft. I was shown the other stuff, um, 
and certainly we have craft that fly using technology very similar, as you pointed out, to the Philadelphia um, radar shield uh, experiment. Um, I have tried these things. I've tried to recreate them in my lab here and have proceeded to hurt myself and one of my staff uh, to the point that we are not going to do it for a while until we think we understand a couple of things a little bit better. Um, it produces magnetic fields that just that they they uh, they hurt you. Uh, I I've talked to so many people about uh, magnetic fields. It has been a lifelong fascination for me. I'm going to jump uh, away ahead here because we're going to have to come back to the technical part. I'm going to jump ahead and ask you about one of the paragraphs you sent me uh, in the email, mm-hmm. and it is I encourage you in your search for the truth in these matters, but I caution you to ask yourself. What will you do when you find out? Will you like the answer? Will you wish you had not found out? Why? Why? What did you mean by that? And uh, please explain. Well, Art, there are some things that 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 I do know about what is happening that are going. Once you find them out, and I I think you will, um, and a lot of other folks, you are going to find yourself very threatened uh, in your lifestyle. Um, very threatened, um, so much so that you may wish you hadn't found out. I mean, you might just rather have lived in blissful ignorance rather than worry about what the implications of it are. You know, Stan, uh, you sound very much like somebody else that I've interviewed many times and who is a good friend of mine named John Lear. Do you know her? Or John, have... I've never, I've talked to John a couple times on the phone, but I've never met him. Uh, well, he, he says much the same kind of thing, Stan, that um, you really ought to... Perhaps live your life um, day to day, enjoy your life, and um, there are some things that you, you'd be better off not knowing, and that is, in essence, what you are saying. Yes. I want to know these things, Stan. Art, <laughs> so. I, I appreciate that. I'm, um, I, as, as, I, as I said to you, um, my concern is that the, in, in kind of good civic duty, some of the things that we might discuss... Um, might might move some of your audience to do things that they shouldn't. I mean, like silly things, like stockpiling, hoarding, and uh, uh, dropping out. And I I wouldn't want that to happen. This is it's difficult for me to to figure out how to say it. All right, I, I let me put your mind at ease. I cannot imagine anything you would say that would be more startling than some of the things John Lear has said, or some of the things Gordon Michael Scallion has said regarding Earth changes. Have you that, got Gordon on the program? Oh, I, uh, Gordon is also a very good friend of mine. And, um, Gee, blimey, I, I correspond with all these guys. I didn't realize that. Uh, you do correspond with Gordon. Oh, yeah, yeah. He and I talk and exchange email and whatever. Um, all right. Um, well, that's, that's amazing. It is a small world, isn't it? Art, I'm tied into the U.S. government uh, databases, with permission, uh, to the USGS, and I draw earthquake and volcano information. I also draw data on the sun from Kitt Peak. Every day, I get a daily feed from them, analyzing and predicting uh, as best we can where the next major quakes are going to be and the intensity. That's why Gordon Michael Scallion and I talk. You are aware, of course, of the uh, large 7.2 earthquake uh, south of Mexico City earlier in the day. Yes, I'm aware of that. It came across the screen this morning. Um, do you know how that... Uh, would, would you, can you comment on how that relates to uh, Scallion's latest predictions, you know, the series of quakes he has predicted? Well, um, 
Um, I, I I gotta confess something. I have so much to read that I I glance at these newsletters, uh, hit the high points, and, and put it in the stack with all the rest, and uh, they kind of run together. Can you? Uh, remind me what, what particular... All right, well, he has predicted a series of four earthquakes that will occur uh, before the end of the year, culminating in a very large earthquake in California. And uh, if this series of quakes completes in the year 1995, he then predicts there will be uh, a major catastrophic earth movement uh, that will literally um, uh, change the western, uh, the western map and do a lot more. So when you say that you know things that would cause people to hoard or to drop out, um, I doubt that you could say anything that would be more shocking uh, or cause people to go in that direction more than he has. So, All right. No, all right. Well, certainly that is a major part of it. That is, that is um, somewhat natural disasters, uh, and there are a lot more of those in the area of asteroids and comets uh, over the next 10 to 12 years that are probably equally as threatening, if not more. Certainly what Gordon is saying I agree in this respect. Um, I've been uh, analyzing data from the NASA CWIF uh, satellite, sea surface temperature satellites, over the last year, and there is a strange, uh, like heat wave uh, or, or heat pattern underneath the crust of the uh, Earth's surface that has several hot spots. And one of them is off Mexico and Southern California, Baja California. Another off Florida. In fact, on both sides of Florida, up near Georgia, and the other on the east coast of uh, Florida all along the west coast of Europe uh, to the Atlantic Ridge. The Mediterranean and Japan is absolutely chocker block, and uh, in the Philippines. All these areas are suffering intense uh, crustal activity. As to what is causing the, the temperature rise, we know that there are magma movements deep down in the surface, but I, I can't be positive enough about the cause and effect link to say that that's doing it. All right, we well, are, that, that, we is very, uh, that is very similar to what... Um Gordon Michael Scallion has said regarding uh, a plasma displacement deep within the Earth. Uh, so you agree on that, I guess? Yes. Well, I can see it. I mean, I, I guess I'm a pragmatist, and I, I like to see the data. And uh, I trust NASA's, uh, NASA's data reasonably uh, well at this point anyway on this uh, particular subject. All right. Again, so that we might understand, you're, in essence, laying out some scientific evidence, you say, that backs up what Scallion says he sees. So uh, give it to me again, please. This, uh, w w What are you able to access that tells you that the magma is moving in, in this way? Well, uh, I've, I've gone into the NASA. Uh, for people that are on the Internet, they can access this uh, through NASA's um, webpage for CWIF, S-E-A-W-I-F. In fact, they can do a search and find CWIF and get into the CWIF color images for the planet. Mm -hmm. um, those are done fairly regularly each week. Um, and this is a color map of the temperature of the Earth's water services, as, as uh, done by their satellite uh, and, and other data-gathering services. What you do is you take two of those photographs, and you use something like Photoshop, uh, a photo processing program, mm -hmm. yes. And you subtract the two images to get the change in temperature, whether it be dropping or rising. And that is how you make a differential thermograph of that, which is what we've been doing in our newsletter and various other uh, email feeds that we uh, we supply, keeping an eye on it. Um, and by golly, you can see it. There's there's just no question about it. Big white um, splashes appear where the temperature is rising in these areas off the California coast, uh, off the Aleutians. Uh, and, and Japan, I tell you what, I wouldn't live there in a fit at the moment. It, that, the heat spot is very concentrated under Japan, 
all the way into the Chinese coast. And I would expect earthquakes and, and, and small tidal waves between now and December. That's just an educated guess, not a prophecy, just, just a guess. We are having uh, uh, here in America, um, in the Caribbean, one of the very worst hurricane seasons uh, in, in, in all of uh, recorded uh, history. Uh, you'd have to go back uh, 60 or 70 years to find something equivalent, and it looks like, and it's still very early in the season, so something is going on with the weather. Is it related? I think so. Um, I know Scientific American put out an article about the magma sheet rising in the Atlantic off the European coast, and um, so there is a, a large heat influx there, or uh, rise there, and certainly in the Caribbean area, or Caribbean, um, there is a massive heat buildup underneath in the water. Um, again, I assume that it is plasma uh, activities deep down, you know, five, six hundred kilometers down. Um, I, I don't have enough data to be exact, but uh, it is enough to convince me that when people like Scallion and some of the others start to see this, that there's something happening. Gordon Michael Scallion came on my program not uh, very long ago and um, gave us a specific warning about volcanic activity in the Caribbean. and uh, That I can believe. Yes. And uh, so that would relate to the heat spot that you say anybody uh, with Internet access uh, could see for themselves. Yeah, they'd have to subtract the two images uh, month by month. I just took just August, from the 1st of August to the last of August, and subtracted the two images and got a, a heat pattern built up in those areas. Uh, I've done it for, for longer than that, but they're just in one month there's enough to tell you that we've got troubles there. And it's up toward where Florida actually hooks on to the, the American continent, um, you know, where that little bottleneck is. The yes. heat pattern is right under that. It, um, it is obvious. There, there's no question about it. I, in fact, I looked at it and I thought, I've got to be wrong because we don't have volcanoes in Florida. Well, uh, what are um, uh, mainstream uh, scientists, researchers, USGS types um, saying about it? or Are they discussing it or is it open? I haven't seen any, any open traffic on it. Understand that USGS is under a lot of pressure right now to be shut down. Uh, in the height of all the earthquakes and volcanoes and terrible things that have been happening, with them doing so much research to help us predict earthquakes in California and Japan and whatever, the the uh, Congress, U.S. Congress, has uh, wanted to shut them down, has compromised instead and laid off hundreds and hundreds of USGS staff in the last month. Now, I understand why, but a lot of people wouldn't. Um, USGS is a semi-public government arm, and the... Um, mm, there's another group that does uh, monitoring called Shake Lady, S-H-A-K-E-L-A-D-Y, for the Defense Department, and they have infinitely better uh, resources than USGS, but not available to the public. So that's why FEMA gets the feeds uh, more than USGS. Uh, is it your view that they know very well what is coming and will not tell us? Art, in a word, yes. And, and listen to me. Now, this is one of the things that I'm... I'm very reluctant to discuss openly, but uh, there's a lot of guys, a lot of scientists telling me we should, and I'm not sure I agree with them, but if you knew, Art, a particular piece of real estate, large real estate piece, was going to suffer a lot of damage like this, it was going to uh, impact uh, property values, if not destroy them, uh, commerce, industry, whatever, and you were the government, in wisdom, would you make a public announcement too early in the game and say to people, oh, look, uh, you might die in the next year or two because this is going to happen, uh, but stay there until we get things organized. We'll let you know. Y you couldn't do it. It would be uh, a mass exodus. 
as it is, since Gordon has come out saying what he's saying, and he's so darned accurate, uh, the, the property values in California have dropped. They've dropped all along the west of the Rocky Mountains, except in Oregon and uh, part of Washington State. And for the life of me, I don't know why they, they don't drop there, because the volcanoes are, are two of them are on standby one alert at the moment. Uh, Stan, I am going to have to. Um, I'm going to have to go to news here at the top of the hour. Can you hold? Sure. All right. Again, there will be silence till about 06:15 past the hour. Stay right where you are. Stan in Perth, Australia. We'll be right back. You're listening to Art Bell somewhere in time. Tonight, featuring a replay of Coast to Coast AM from September 14th, Somewhere in time. Tonight's program originally aired September 14th, 1995. Good morning, everybody. I'll do my own little intro here. We've got Stan Dale. He's a very special guest from Perth, Australia. We've got him on here all the way from Perth, Australia. And he's telling us about craft he's been working on and about things he knows that, frankly, will curl your hair. So uh, we're going to bring him back in just a moment. To recap very briefly, and we're going to have to, this is a man, Stan Dale, who says he was recruited by Edward Teller's man, Dr. James Maxfield, in Dallas in 1971, and went to Australia, did work on flying saucer craft, not theirs, not alien craft, but our craft, craft that we now have and use. We've moved from that area, and we're going to retrench there a little bit, into some of the areas, uh, well, actually, uh, he gave me a paragraph here I asked him about, and it says, Believe me when I tell you I encourage you in your search for the truth in these matters. But I caution you, ask yourself, what will you do when you find out? Will you like the answer? Will you wish you had not found out? I sometimes wonder what it would be like to live life uh, in a sort of oblivious, lemming-like pursuit of worldly stimulus not knowing what to do. I asked him what that meant, and uh, it seems to mean much the same thing that Gordon Michael Scallion has been saying. Late news, an earthquake in Oklahoma as well. You know about the 7.2 uh, in Mexico, a very large quake. Thank God not many killed. Now we find uh, one... Uh, let me see, it was actually um, uh, in Oklahoma, about 25 miles south of Medicine Lodge, Kansas, at 6.32 p.m. Mountain uh, Daylight Time today. But, uh, 4.1, that's absolutely an incredible place. Uh, we are having earthquakes in strange places. Back now to Perth, Australia, and Stan Dale. Are you there, Stan? Yes, I am, Art. Excellent. Um, I've uh, been listening to you, and I'm on the uh, the Art Bell channel on the uh, IRC radio chat, and one of your listeners in uh, 
in uh, California has just uh, signed on here by uh, satellite link somehow or another. I Riverside, see. California. So you've got people out there listening. That's absolutely remarkable. Uh, which IRC chat channel are you on? Uh, I've set up a channel called Art Bell, A-R-T-B-E-L-L, and uh, I'm the administrator called LaFalcon, L-E. Well, you'll see it anyway if you get there. Uh, Art Bell. Just type, tell them to type in Art Bell on their, um, their channel selector, and uh, they can converse with us while we're on air. All the way from Perth, Australia. My God, the world is getting uh, very small. And I know, Art. I, I, I'm old enough that I remember when things weren't this way. <laughs> All right. Uh, so let us quickly retrench, uh, if, right. if you wouldn't mind. Uh, there's such a large new audience out there right now. Uh, tell them about the kind of craft we now have in our possession. Uh, you, you believe, uh, or actually I pushed you into it, uh, that it began with the Philadelphia experiment or... At least that was the genesis of the technology that you then moved forward with. And before, before we even get into that, let me ask you credential-wise, here is a question from Elaine who says, Would you ask your guest how was he able to start independent work immediately after gra graduating from the Air Force Academy? Most people have a military obligation after graduation. Well, tell her that um, I was in the class of 67, but um, there were 180 of us who resigned in a protest against the government interfering with our activities at the academy in 64. I served four years after that uh, in the uh, Air Force Reserve at the Strategic Air Command Base at uh, Fort Worth at Carswell, uh, which meant that I could work in civilian life. And so I had a, a real-world real job in the computer industry. I trained at IBM and then went into industry in Dallas. And uh, I paid for what research I did at home. So uh, a lot of your research was uh, actually very private. Very private, and, and believe me, I wasn't out uh, heading up a big team or anything at that time. This is why I couldn't understand how they found out what I was doing. Well, so then apparently they did find out that you were dabbling in technology that you say they were doing more than just dabbling in, and they brought you into their wing, and by that I, uh, you do name names, uh, Dr. Maxfield, an associate uh, of Edward Tellers. Is that correct? That's correct. And and tell the people one more time, if you would, as in the best layman's terms that you can muster up, what kind of craft we have now. What 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 are called flying saucers? Ours, not theirs. Okay, the ones that we have made are in two categories: um, aircraft, which move the air electrically around the aircraft to make it uh, suck itself forward, or electromagnetically, which uses uh, electricity and magnetism in certain flowing patterns in and around and through the craft to make it move relative to gravity or to inertial fields. Is that uh, too technical? Well, uh, let me try this. What are these craft capable of? What speeds can they uh, attain? Uh, can they leave the atmosphere with, without a problem uh, and so forth? The, the later craft, the electromagnetic one, yes, they can, uh, ones they can leave the atmosphere. The ones I was designing were limited to atmospheric flight. Uh, the later stuff that I was uh, shown and, and later studied um, could do things that probably the Philadelphia experiment uh, touched upon where you can actually gate between two areas in a very short space of time, almost like dimensional jumping. Um, again, I'm not an expert in that area. I only know what I saw in the, uh, in the assembly area and the, uh, the papers that I was uh, asked to read uh, on the subject at that time. Is this kind of a bending of uh, space or a jumping across, or how would you describe it? Um, <laughs> so 
sorry. I was just looking at the mail coming in over your channel at the moment. We've got some, some very interesting comments. I'm, I'm sure you, you'll find it very diverting. Uh, well, very rude in some cases. I'm sure. All right. Sorry. Repeat your question. Um, my question was, um, it, was it a, a bending of uh, space, uh, or is that the way you would describe it, uh, well, a bending of it, space or uh, jumping across? Yeah, as far as I can understand, it's in line with what Einstein was postulating, that we can have uh, mass operating in the same area but at different uh, frequencies. Um, certainly, light can be bent uh, using these pulsed uh, overlapping fields. I've seen that myself in the lab. Beyond that, um, I can only guess that it's something like uh, the hyperspace jump that you see in the sci-fi channels or you know mm -hmm. Star Trek or something like that, like a warp of space. Mm -hmm. If that is the case, Theoretically, um, even light is not a limit of velocity. Now, um, here's a good question for you also by fax. Um, if we have the kind of technology that you are talking about, then and we've been developing it uh, generally since about the 50s, which is what I believe you said, um, why in the world did we engage in such an expensive stupid space race uh, to go to the moon and all the, all the rest of that. I mean, was it all a, a charade? No, not entirely. Um, understand, you have to justify or explain uh, R&D in a lot of areas that we needed for our own technology. If you have a bona fide uh, uh, space research program, what, what you do is you go out to various contractors and say to them, will you make this part or this box to do such and such? You have these kind of feeds coming in, and we want these kind of feeds coming out. Here are the parameters. Go build it and send it to us at this place. And so contractors can make things that uh, can be used in both programs or in, in space research in general, never knowing what the final product looks like when they put it all together. So it, uh, it allows you to get a government or public budget for something that is really uh, uh, not in the open arena. It's a black budget legally. Uh, so you claim when we have ongoing black budgets and black projects that are dealing with and enhancing and continuing to build these craft that so many people see fly? Yes. Um, at, is there going to come a point, uh, Stan, when all of this is going to be made public? Is the government, uh, in your view, going to come out and say, all right, uh, people like Stan Deo and so many others uh, have blown it wide open. We might as well admit it. Um, will there be the equivalent of the Hazel O'Leary uh, uh, coming out and saying, yes, we poisoned uh, the children or whatever? <laughs> um, I... Yes, it will come out. And I'm not sure whether it's purely because of my pushing or Stanton Friedman or John Lear or any of the rest. Uh, most of us know each other in this game uh, as far as what information we've been releasing. And um, we're concerned that it will come out uh, in a manner that is not exactly true, but people will believe the lie. Um, i got to tell you, look, I, I'm a student of the, the Bible and Hebrew and things like that. Uh, no particular religion. I'm just a student of those things. Mm -hmm. And certainly in the Genesis 6 account, there's uh, a lot of discussion about off-worlders, uh, sons of God, Nephilim, this kind of stuff coming down to Earth uh, a long time ago and interacting, interbreeding with our, our people. Um, uh, there are Sumerian records, there are Vedic records, uh, there are Egyptian records. Uh, you just can't really um, uh, ignore them. So from this particular aspect, I, I tend to study the uh, Hebrew and Christian prophecies and Nostradamus and a few others that talk about things that could be happening now 
that we have scientific uh, proof of, if you wish. And uh, so I tend to start, you know, thinking like uh, maybe these prophecies are correct. Um, All right. Uh, you are way off in Australia, but apparently you are, through the Internet, very well connected. I presume you are familiar with the, uh, the story of Bob Lazar. Oh, yes. I've seen his tapes. All right, um, good. Um, Bob Lazar also describes technology somewhat similar to what you are describing. Uh, he claims to have worked on or claims to have been back engineering what he thought, I, I say again, what he thought were alien uh, spacecraft. Is it possible that what he was uh, working on was an experiment um, of, of a craft that is, is indeed ours, not theirs? possible but i look i tend to believe that that we have other beings here um understand before 1952 the the uh we didn't have these things but we had reports of them okay i mean there have been reports and sightings and contacts for hundreds of years um in, in our history um the, the crash in 1898 i think it was in in, in texas of the ufo that hit the, the the water tower in that small town and came down um these things um would indicate that they've, they've been here before we built them. So he may have actually been back engineering some little critter's craft. I don't know. Um, the, the biblical accounts and, and the, uh, the the Vedic accounts and the uh, Sumerian accounts talk about humanoids with superpowers, so they, they look like us. Yes. Are you are you there? Say again. Are are you there? Yeah. Sorry, we just had a glitch on the line. All right. Um. All right, so you consider it possible there are others here, and yet at the same time you're telling us straight out that we have this technology, we have these craft, we've had them for some time, and uh, if not all, then a good a good bunch of the ones that people see fly, and I'm I'm pretty well believing that uh, uh, people see these things because I've seen one myself. Uh, yes, I'm sorry to say I have. Um, I was almost afraid to admit it publicly, Stan, but I have seen it. Uh, I saw a triangular craft uh, that floated uh, just above my head, and there's no mistaking. It was close. It was... sure it wasn't Venus or, or the moon or swamp gas. Uh, Stan, no, Stan. Uh, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. Uh, believe me, I saw it. And uh, I've taken a lot of heat for that, for admitting that I did, but I did. I live near Area 51. You think that Area 51 is not the center of the kind of activity that we've been talking about anymore. Is that correct? Well, I don't know if it ever was, but uh, certainly uh, um, I, I do know that, that when we have a secret project, we don't hang a sign up and say, this is a secret project. Please don't come in here or we'll shoot you. That's I mean, true. That's, it, you never even know it exists. It could be like a bakery shop or a Piggly Wiggly delivery place, I and mean, you'd never know. All right. Now I want to move to another area quickly, and that is that uh, tricky little paragraph about finding out things I might not want to know, and you said, well, this would cause people to panic or to begin to stockpile things or to move. Specifically, uh, Stan, what do you believe is about to happen? Well, um, okay. Uh, scientifically, or, or like at least analyzing data and trying to extrapolate it, I see that we are moving into extreme periods of earthquake and volcanic activity on the planet, things that we have not seen in a long, long, long time. Um, the United States is going to suffer a great deal in the West Coast, up the New Madrid fault line, and in Florida. 
Europe is, uh, and North Africa, Northwest Africa, Spain, and the Mediterranean is also going to suffer a great deal of activity. Japan is probably going to be hit the worst. Uh, I can see the heat patterns building up under it on, on the satellite photos. Um, in my guess, and this is cer certainly just a guess, I'm not an expert there, I would say that in the immediate future, talking in months, we're going to see some earthquake activity in Japan that will be astounding. Um, I don't know when Scallion's uh, uh, forecast is, uh, has put the great uh, Japanese earthquakes, but um, certainly we have graphs here that show traditional periods of uh, activity. And um, uh, there's one in mid-October, one in mid-November, one in late to mid-December, and then we skip over to January, uh, mid to late January, um, and then a, a dead period for a while. So I'm, I'm watching that area very closely for the next four months. All right, so that people might understand how you are reaching these conclusions. Yep. Uh, these are pretty frightening things. Um, what is going on with the Earth, or what is man doing, or what is happening that's going to precipitate this? Um, well, man is not responsible for all of this. Uh, I, I, we're talking large dynamics here, planetary dynamics. The sun itself has done something rather strange, uh, and over the last five years, uh, uh, solar physicists have noticed uh, new uh, mm, frequencies coming out uh, of the sun. It, it emits uh, characteristic frequencies all the time. And one particular study has suggested that a couple of these uh, higher frequencies are being absorbed by plankton uh, or phytoplankton in the ocean or various other suspended solids in the ocean and is causing abnormal heating. Mm -hmm. Um, this in turn breeds more of these phytoplankton and archaeobacteria and various other things that are they're breeding, uh, which absorbs more heat. And then the water actually changes density when it gets hot. Uh, uh, and uh, so you have cold water versus hot water densities, which is putting differential pressures on the, like weights on the surface of the earth, causing uh, more earthquake stress. Now, this is from a Japanese paper on the subject uh, in the last year. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I look at these things and then try to take the NASA data feed that we can get a hold of and and uh, build it into graphic pictures so that we can understand it at a glance. I, I wish there was a way that we could um, show you that because it, um, I can certainly send it to you if you have some kind of a, of a web page and you could uh, share it with folks. Uh, I do have a web page. Do you? Yes, All right, if, well, you, can I, if you I go to the if you go to the web browser, if you go to the web browser and simply uh, enter Art Bell, it will take you right there. All right. All right. Okay, well, I'll do that, and uh, I won't do it just now. I'll have to do that if we get off the air. Yeah, oh, that, uh, please, yes. Um, all right, now, I would like uh, to let the audience ask you a couple of questions. Uh, they're very obviously very anxious to do that, so I'm going to put it with what time we have left, uh, and I'm going to carry it uh, till the top of the hour. Uh, all right, you want me to read any of the questions they've been asking over the um, the IRC because my board is absolutely flooded here. With I'm questions. sure it is. Uh, <laughs> sure, if you want to, if you want to answer a couple of the good ones, go ahead. There's a guy named Tremor, T-R-E-M-O-R. Okay, I would rather uh, not uh, use any last names. No, this is all nicknames. You know how they All right, yes, work? I do. All right, go ahead. Okay, Tremor uh, has uh, dialed in. Could you on the air tell us if these craft have gone into space? Answer, yes, they, they certainly have. Um, 
Sorry, uh, just to know one of those rude questions came across. Well, uh, yeah, I, I encourage you, uh, even though the Internet is fun and all, and chat channels are fun, it will be diverting for you to try to uh, concentrate, so you really ought to sort of not concentrate on that for a while. Okay, I'll turn them off. We'll look at it later. Take your phone calls. We'll go by the phone lines. That yeah, let's, let's, uh, let's do that. All right, here we go. West of the Rockies, you're on the air, believe it or not, with uh, Standeo in Perth, Australia. Oh, hi. How's it going? Okay. All right. uh, my name's Joe. I'm from Aurora Grandy. Yes. I was wondering, uh, the craft that you're working on. Yep. Do they, uh, how do gravity A and gravity B waves correspond with the electromagnetic propulsion that you're talking about? Are you speaking in terms of what, uh, Bob Lazar, uh, presented, are you? Yeah. Okay, I had not uh, used terminology like Bob is doing, I, and uh, I don't know Bob. Um, but um, my understanding of how these fields, uh, the new fields work, and I certainly haven't got mine to work yet. Very quickly. Uh, is that the, the um, one of the three vectors of, the, of overlapping magnetic fields is, is opened, and the other two cancel in, in two right-angle fields, which produces thrust in the Earth's field. That's very, it's very simplified, but uh, I hope that says something to you. Well, I don't know that it said anything to me, but it sounds like if it's true that somebody's going to come and see you pretty soon with a suit on, uh, Stan. I'm, I'm, I'm at the bottom of the hour, so hold on down under there, all right? That's yeah. uh, uh, Stan Dale in Perth, Australia. We'll come back and do another half hour with your questions. You're listening to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. Tonight featuring a replay of Coast to Coast AM from September 14th, 1995. Presentation of Coast to Coast AM from September 14th, 1995. Good morning from the high desert. I'm Art Bell. I have a very special guest on the line all the way from Perth, Australia. His name is Stan Dale. He's got a lot of very incredible things to say. And in just a moment, we're going to get back to him. I'm 
must tell you, I'm getting faxes um, at, a, at a rate that I couldn't possibly handle. Um, just a couple of them for you. Uh, Stan, are you there? Yes, I am. Art. Back to Perth, Australia. All right, here is one fax. Hello, Art. Like your guest, I know of him. I was in a group that designed the simulators, disk simulators, signed anonymous with no fax header. Um, does that sound right to you? Well, uh, what can I say? I don't know who it could have been. Um, certainly, I have a couple people in mind, but I don't know that they would do a thing like that, or mm -hmm. over the air, I mean, anyway. I understand. Well, they signed it anonymous, and there's no way I could trace it. And then, well, uh, it might be somebody just trying to have a bit of fun. Yeah, well, maybe. Uh, then there's, hi, Art, please continue to prompt your guest on the things that we may not want to know. Thanks, Jeff in Las Vegas. Okay. Um, all right, well, look, can I, can I go for it here? Go for it. Okay. Art, um, disregarding uh, my history with the government and the, the uh, flying disc research and all that kind of stuff, if you just start back probably 18 years ago when I started researching why things were being covered up and what was really happening behind the scenes uh, in the world in various areas, I uh, came across some um, uh, Christian folk uh, and some Jewish folks some rabbis and things that I studied with. And um, what has amazed me over the last 18 years is that my, my scientific research um, has shown that it is very probable, almost uh, immediately, that things that these prophecies have been talking about will be happening to our planet. And to give you an example of this, I mean, what I'm going to tell you about I can see happening from scientific evidence in our next decade sometime. Massive earthquake increases in diverse places all over the planet. Uh, a comet hitting the earth in the oceans and polluting the water and a lot of the, uh, the rivers uh, around the area and killing a lot of sea life and, and marine uh, travelers at the time. The earth actually rocking on its axis, possibly shifting its magnetic uh, polar um, orientation at the moment. The sun actually going dark either from a dark cloud or, or dust cloud coming in between it and us or uh, from the sun emitting uh, particles in the solar wind, which is uh, certainly uh, okay at the moment, but could become unstable. Uh, all of these things are mentioned in Christian and, and Nostradamus and uh, various other prophecies. Uh, Mother Shipton in England, uh, as you would have seen possibly if you read Nexus magazine in the States. Yes, well, uh, uh, what bothers me, what unnerves me terribly is that I hear it from Gordon Michael Scallion. I hear it from others who would call themselves prophets or visionaries or intuitives or whatever. doesn't matter. It's just a name. And then I hear it from people like you who are basing it uh, not so much on a prophecy or uh, of any sort, biblical or otherwise, but scientific scientific evidence. I know, and believe me, Art, people can interpret scientifically data in about a zillion different ways. I have tried to be as objective about it as I can. Um, I hate being labeled a prophet or something like that, but I cannot ignore the increase in all the disasters. Um, it has happened as we thought it would so far, and I'm concerned that people will not understand what the whole thing is about on the planet before it gets them. Uh, that's why I wrote the books. Um, you know, I've tried to explain a lot more. Uh, in fact, a lot of the questions that are being answered uh, are asked over the air. All right, well, you're in Australia now. Yep. How will Australia fare in these uh, large earth changes? Uh, our west coast is probably going to suffer a bit of water damage, uh, possibly a fracture line. Um, almost down the middle of the country. Uh, certainly I can see evidence of it on the, uh, the stress charts. 
um, the northeastern Australian area up near the Indonesian islands and New Zealand and the Solomons will uh, suffer uh, tidal wave or tsunami damage and possibly some quakes as this progresses because that whole area is just terribly active. All right, and, and so that we all understand how you're predicting this again, you're looking at uh, charts that show you heating in places that um, you interpret to mean a mag magma shift is going on, a major magma shift. Is that correct? That's, that, I think that's what's causing it, yes. Um, I'm also analyzing USGS earthquake data from the United States Geophysical Service mm -hmm. on a daily basis, mm -hmm. and I have a way to um, present the data graphically that lets us see uh, a little bit more of the pattern. All right, uh, let's go to the phones again. East of the Rockies, uh, you're on the air with Stan. Hello. Yes, all right. This is Karen in Houston, and hey, Stan. I've read some of what you've written, and I've been a long time wanting to talk to you, fella. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, there's an organization here in Houston, and it's akin to MUFON. Yes. And I've dropped in on some of their meetings, and out of their little library, I checked out one of your books, and I would like to ask you something very simple, but you don't have to respond if you don't want to. All right. All right. I've been very concerned about this topic. Um, right. I'm like you. I, I read everything I can get my hands on and talk to everybody I can. Um, when it comes to the grand experiment, is that part of what you're talking about as far as the um, those who are hovering above us? Yes. Okay, it's not so much an experiment as it is a resolution of a conflict that occurred out there. Now, one moment. Alrighty. One moment, please, both of you. I don't know what you're both talking about. Uh, who wants to explain it? Let Karen. Um, well, are we talking about the same thing now, Stan, above the 33rd? 33rd the, level? Yeah. Yes. Uh, I think I think we're discussing it, but go ahead and explain to the audience. Go ahead. Well, um, something I read that had your name on it as being the author of it. It was it was a booklet kind of a thing, talking about um, the Masonic Order and those above the 33rd level. And uh, I have well, talked with a world traveler who has told me that the 34th and 35th are the ones who will come out and will take charge of things. All right. Well, wait, listen. Let's hold it there. I think yeah, we've got enough yeah. to know what she was, uh, the road she yeah. was going down. Is is uh, Karen? Uh, to, to start with, I don't recognize the the, the article uh, that you're saying. I mean, certainly, if it has my name on it, uh, it doesn't necessarily mean I wrote it. We have been finding a lot of stuff that people have been trying to um, to write in, on my behalf, floating around. Um, I am aware of the Masonic organizations around the planet, uh, particularly the Grand Orient Lodge in Europe uh, and, the, and their relationship to the uh, so-called Illuminati or the New World Order. Uh, certainly, I still hold to that position, but the conflict I'm talking about is what uh, in, in, in the Bible Belt we call the angelic conflict or the conflict up in the heavens out there amongst the beings that, that created us back in the, the Garden of Eden type uh, experiment or courtroom or whatever. That's that uh, is where I would be coming from, Karen. All right. Um, on the first-time caller line, you're on the air with Stan Dale. Hello. Hi, Stan. This Gecko. Where are you, sir? Reno. Okay. Turn your radio off. All right. All right. Uh, go ahead. Do you have a question? Yeah. Um... Well, he's not turning his radio off, so we're moving on. Uh, west of the Rockies, you're on the air with Stan Dale. Hello. This is uh, Escondido Kogo. Yes, sir. I'd like to ask your guest why he was expelled from the Air Force Academy. I believe he said that. Uh, whether he has any scientific degrees or achievements. 
And why would we work in Australia on a classified U.S. aircraft? I know of only one base there. It's the Dallas Springs, which is a listening post once run by TRW. All right, stay on the line and let him answer. Stan? Okay. First question, I resigned, as did 180 others. If you look at the newspapers of the time in 64, you'll see that 180 cadets uh, resigned. Uh, the first uh, press release was that we were cheating on uh, exams. Uh, the U.S. government later recanted and admitted that we'd had a disciplinary disagreement with U.S. Air Force for uh, becoming involved in cadet activities uh, to the point of hypnosis. And uh, we had we had passed our final exams, or like waived them, because uh, we, we refused to take them if they didn't uh, get out of our affairs. Wait a minute, you say you were expelled for hypnosis? No, we quit. We resigned because uh, we were we were tired of the Air Force being involved, like um, in our cadet activity, to the point of, of hypnotizing us and using um, uh, high speed uh, flash queuing and things uh, which we didn't volunteer for. There were a number of other issues uh, as well, but uh, this is what we resigned over, and there were members of all classes uh, that resigned, and it was such a big scandal that they just uh, swept under the carpet. So. After that, I didn't uh, finish and get a degree. I, I studied on my own bat uh, wherever uh, I was. And um, certainly, you are correct, uh, TRW was one of the contractors and may still be at Alice Springs at Pine Gap, but it's a DARPA project that the Navy primarily controlled in the beginning with MHD stuff. Are Why would they work in Australia rather than the United States? Well, because there's a lot of open space down here to do research on what we want to do, and there wasn't as much chance of running into people uh, like it would be in the States. There's just not sense. many places, even Arizona, that are quite as isolated as we are down here. That would make sense. Uh, that is one of the most isolated, uh, I think you dubbed it the most isolated city in the world, Stan? Uh, it is. And uh, to the caller there, the Alice Springs facility is only one of five bases that we have down here that I'm aware of. Uh, and uh, it's uh, in the middle of a desert that is... Uh, in the area where they are is an aboriginal reserve, and you're not even allowed on that reserve. It's like Indian reservation territory. You can't even get close. All right. Um, east of the Rockies, you're on the air with Stan Dale in uh, Perth, Australia. Yeah, this is uh, Don in Wichita, and I wanted to ask uh, if your guest, Stan, has read Holy Blood, Holy Grail. Yes, I have. Uh, the and a young question would be, you know, Thomas Saint's dealings with France prior to the Gulf War, uh, getting nuclear reactors, do you think he understands... Uh, the relationship with southern France and in Jerusalem and has some insights into technologies that we may not want him to know? Actually, I'll probably get a hand slap for this, but I think so. Uh, I know that he, he thought Hitler hung the moon. He, he studied everything about him, including his esoteric uh, sciences. So, yep. yes, I think he does. All right. First time caller line. You are Dan calling from San Antonio, Dan Texas. San Antonio. Okay. Uh, and I want to ask Dan if he... Uh, uh, I know Lear uh, has some feelings about a demonic aspect to this, and uh, Noria Hayakawa seems to be heading in the same direction in terms of biblical prophecy. Yes, and, I, I agree with Noria. Uh huh. And, and I wanted uh, I wanted you to address specifically the relationship of the government's involvement with what might be that particular aspect first, and then second whether there's a dual aspect to the otherworldliness of, of, the, of, the, of the situation. And I'll just uh, listen to it on the phone. Thanks. Uh, on the radio. Okay, thank you. Uh, if I understand correctly what you said, um, the, uh, the government's participation in this um, 
is a very confusing one at the moment. It is comprised of a lot of people of differing philosophies. From the biblical aspect, there are a lot of us, um, including Nuria, I think, that are seeing that the prophecies which speak of Babylon, the new Babylon of this age, does include the United States, if not particularly target the United States as a Babylon of this age, um, which is not a good thing because it tells people who are members of, of that community of Babylon to get out of it so they are not uh, uh, afflicted by the same judgments that are going to strike that land. Now, again, this is interpreting uh, prophecy and code from a long time ago. We may be wrong, but that is where we're heading. That government, our government, the U.S. government, may actually be in charge of the new Babylon, the confusion of this age. Um, so the second question, Art, can you remember the second question? No, I'm sorry. I certainly can't. Sorry. It, it uh, slipped my that mind. That one floated away. Uh, that was a tough answer. Uh, hi, Art. Chilling, very chilling. Uh, would you spell Stan's last name? It is uh, D-E-Y-O. And uh, you mentioned uh, that you've got an, what, a, a, a website, Stan? Uh, not yet. I have a, an email. Um, I, do, do we give them that or not? Yeah, if you want to give an email address there in Perth, Australia, go ahead. All right. It's uh, one word, S-T-A-N-D-E-Y-O, at sign, I-I-N-E-T, period, N-E-T, period, A-U. A-U at the end? Yeah, that's for Australia. All right. Well, I, oh, I see. I, well, I hope everybody got that. West of the Rockies, you're on the air with Stan Dale. Hi. Hi. This is Tim in uh, San Diego. Yes. Uh, I just want to ask, um, if this has been going on for so long, how come, you know, we haven't, how come it hasn't been leaked earlier than this? Well, I think it has. Um, I mean... There have been a lot of people like um, Professor James McDonald that uh, suicided out in an Arizona hospital and he tried to, to leak information. Uh, people like, uh, what was the physicist over in Florida, um, oh, connected with the Vero Project anyway. Um, there, there have been enough people that tried to leak it very hard and just got aced. Um, well, all right, so how come you're not worried about being aced? I was in the beginning. Uh, I certainly, I, I ran in this country when I broke with uh, my controllers and, uh, you know, grew a beard and used a couple of, you know, uh, somewhat clever techniques to hide for a few months until I figured out how I was going to fight them. And then I came out and I published uh, names. I, I named names without any question about it. I named names and places and people. And to this day, I've never heard from them. They've gone to ground and, and tucked their tail between their legs because they don't want any publicity. So, in other words, in other words, they they figured uh, once it's out, uh, the best road is to leave you alone. Either that, or to help me uh, and perhaps uh, feed me data that would steer me the the way they wanted to go. I don't know. I've I've been very aware of that possibility as well. All right, east of the Rockies, you're on the air with Stan Deo in Perth, Australia. This is Ernie in Mississippi. In Mississippi, yes. Yes. Oh, uh, you mentioned um, uh, earthquake on the New Madrid fault. Can you tell me how far south that goes? Um, I don't have the map in front of me, but I would say in Mississippi it would be, uh, from what I've seen on the USGS charts, you, certainly you can get it, um, it would be north of you, but the damage from the change of the course of the Mississippi may be the problem in the south. Um, I... Again, I, I'm, I'm not a prophet. I'm, I'm just kind of estimating from where I see fault lines appearing up north of you there. There's intense activity north of you, uh, probably one state away, as I recall. Mm -hmm. um, I, 
I hesitate to tell people to start packing their bags and, and moving. Um, well, judging from what you've said, thank you in Mississippi. Judging from what you've said, I, I, where would people move to, Stan? Uh, I don't have an answer to that. I think uh, it, it's time people kind of start looking at their spirituality and wonder uh, what they do in the next life, because I don't think that there's going to be a lot of safe places on the planet. So you, uh, very much like John Lear, would advise people to enjoy your life, enjoy your families, and uh, don't look too hard at what's ahead because you might not want to know. Uh, certainly I would advise you to enjoy your life and your families, but on the other hand, I would encourage you to to give some thought that if such a thing, if, if it does happen in your lifetime, um, is there an afterlife? Do we go on beyond this and explore this? Um, certainly, uh, you know, these are areas I've talked about in the magazine and in the books um, because I think it's important. At, at, at this point, we, we cannot avoid what is coming. We've got to look at whether we're going to live uh, after we die. In other words, that uh, that's that's the best thing to look forward to because um, the the cataclysm that's coming uh, is coming. There are things we haven't even begun to discuss about uh, new money systems and things that I I know are in place and are about to be put down on us uh, uh, across the planet that are again biblical prophecy, and that is not a natural disaster. That's a man-made catastrophe. Um, there are just so many things that make it. Um, unbearable if you don't have uh, a life after this. Uh, there's not a lot to look forward to. Okay. Um, we're about out of time, Stan. Uh, right, inter Internet addresses are very difficult. Give it one more time. All right. S-T-A-N-D-E-Y-O. At sign. That's a little A with a curly around it. Right. I-I-N-E-T. But... Um, full stop, or what do you call it, uh, period, um, N-E-T, period, A-U. And that will get, uh, that will get uh, uh, emailed to you? Yes, probably zillions of emails, but uh, anyway, yes, I'll try to answer them. All right. Uh, what time is it there now in Australia? It is now uh, 15, uh, 3.56 in the afternoon on Friday. We have sampled your day, and it's going to be a nice day from what we see. <laughs> Stan, I cannot thank you enough. It has been fascinating. I don't, I don't know what to believe. I don't, uh, but I, but I'm, I'm a good listener, and uh, you certainly are a good uh, teller of uh, stories. And uh, <laughs> so, Art, I'm going to send you some, some uh, photographic data for you to use on your web page. It's the only way I know that we can share it with the folks, and I'll certainly do that. And I certainly will share it. Stan, thank th you, Art. Thank you uh, from Perth, Australia. That was Stan Dale. Wow. That's going to cause you to uh, swallow hard a couple of times. When we come back, we'll switch gears. I've got a big announcement coming up. Don't go away. You're listening to Art Bell, somewhere in time on Premier Radio Networks. Tonight, an encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM from September 14, 1995.
Somewhere in Time. Tonight featuring a replay of Coast to Coast AM from September 14, 1995. You may begin to learn that I'm not like other talk show hosts. I do things that are different. <laughs> I concentrate not only on uh, current events, world news, politics, but a lot of other things. And uh, I have a lot of curiosities, and I follow them. And this is yet another case of that. This involves a man uh, who sent me a... Uh, actually, again, it was email yesterday. And here's what he sent me. I own an air conditioning business, and I've been trained in the effects of CFC venting. I tried desperately to get hold of you this morning, but was unsuccessful due to the 800 lines crashing. <laughs> yeah, That's another subject we'll cover. Uh, please call me tonight at blah, 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 between 11 and 3 Central Time, and I'd be um, elated to fill in my fellow listeners on the facts concerning the hole in the ozone layer. This is a very serious problem, and it needs to be addressed. With high regards, Pat. Well, a lot of conservatives, I am not one of them, incidentally, think that the whole ozone layer uh, thing is a bunch of absolute horse... Uh, elimination, and that there is no, well, there is a hole in the ozone, but it's no big deal. Now, the other day, uh, the U.N., through U.S. satellite imagery, detected uh, the hole over the Antarctic to be the size, they said, of Europe. We then got a report saying that the ozone depletion over the U.S. since the mid-1950s is 10%. That, if true, is really serious. Now, I know that a lot of you out there think it's a bunch of bunk. Let's talk to somebody in the business and see what he thinks. So, here he comes. Uh, his name is Pat. Pat, do you want to give your last name on the air? Uh, no. <laughs> no? You're, you're in New Orleans, right? Yeah, W-O-D-T. W-O-D-T. Who that? That's right. All right. Um, Pat, if you would... Um, you say that this ozone layer hole is a real problem. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, they haven't uh, proven that Freon causes this problem, but they have eliminated every other possibility. So uh, that's, I guess that's just their way of saying that's it, but we're not going to say we proved it. All right, well, let's, let's back up a little bit before we get to uh, Freon and CFCs. Um, the ozone layer, or the ozone uh, layer above us, um, do you believe the figures the scientists give us about a 10% depletion above North America? Absolutely. You do? Absolutely. Uh, do you believe them when they say the size of the, uh, uh, the measured uh, size of the, the hole above the Antarctic is the size of Europe bigger than ever previously been measured? And without a doubt, it's only going to get bigger. What is the best evidence uh, that would suggest that you've learned that CFCs are the um, culprit? Well, the way they do it is it takes 10 to 15 years for them to get up there. That's the, even, the scariest part because uh, we, we don't even know what's going to happen in 10 to 15 years from what's already been vented before we had to not do it at all, uh, although there are people doing it. Um, but anyway, the carbon atoms, once they reach ultraviolet rays, are broken away from, from the freon, from the chlorofluoromethane, and they become singular. And uh, what they do is steal an oxygen atom away from ozone, which is O3, right. turning it into oxygen. And uh, then they let that 
oxygen atom go, and they uh, grab another, and then another. And one carbon atom can destroy millions of ozone atoms. One carbon atom can destroy million of ozo uh, millions of ozone atoms. Well, what creates or what created, or maybe I'm, I'm beyond your scope here, but um, our, the ozone layer now that shields us from some of the harmful radiation from the sun, um, how is that maintained? Um, lightning, I know when we have a lightning strike, that creates ozone. Right. Is that ozone that enters the layer then? Um, I'm not really sure. I know that up until 50 years ago, there, there wasn't any problem with it. There wasn't any global warming. And uh, mass production of air conditioning started about 50 years ago, and thinning started then, too. And the problem has been measurably larger Absolutely. In, that period of, in that period of time. So you don't think it's a bunch of uh, ideological baloney. You think it is a real danger. Absolutely, because you can imagine uh, just one carbon atom can, can... They don't know how long it stays up there before it's destroyed itself. Um, there could be carbon atoms at work that were put up there in the 1950s, still to this day. All right, let us, for the sake of discussion, say that CFCs are the culprit. Uh, what do we have to look forward to? Are we still venting at a rate that will produce destruction, or have we changed enough, for example, in your business, air conditioning, so that the whole thing is going to get bad, maybe a little worse, and then get better? Well, what we have to worry about are the third-world countries and second-world countries who aren't uh, abounded by any restrictions the U.N. may bring about, and, and strict, definitely the U.S. has the strictest uh, I don't then any longer. There are people in the business who do. Uh, it still goes on, but uh, we have to worry about all these countries coming up that are industrializing, that are still allowed to make the stuff and produce it, and it will be high demand because of the U.N. restrictions on it. And uh, everybody else is going to do it anyway. What did they teach you in school about the effects of the thinning ozone? What, 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 in other words, what does it mean to us? <laughs> in a nutshell, it means we're going to get cooked by the sun. Well, cooked? Well, if, if the ozone layer is depleted to the point where it doesn't protect us from the sun's rays, the planet's going to get warmer. Uh, if nothing else, cancer, skin cancer is going to run rampant. Uh, it'll just be a long, slow deterioration of the planet, I believe. All right. Uh, Pat, I'd, you're outside. Everybody should know you're outside. I take it you do your business at this time of the morning. No, actually, I'm moonlight. I have a newspaper out. <laughs> I see. <laughs> I'm going to go get it. Yeah, all right. Um, so how many, what percentage of people in your business, uh, you, since you haven't given your last name, you can surely tell us, in this country, do you think are illegally still venting Freon, CFCs? Mm, at least 20%. Oh, great. Um like all other things, the federal government doesn't have the money to uh, enforce their laws, and a lot of people know this, and uh, they're just continuing to do it. Uh, you can fall within their guidelines and still get away with it. That's definitely possible. Yeah, you know, cover your tracks even, you know? Yes. Um, why would it... Let me understand. Why would it be to anybody's advantage to go ahead and vent it instead of, um, well, well, what is done with it? What do you do with it? Well, we're supposed to suck it out of the equipment with a, a separate compressor and, a, and you know, on a, a portable machine into a drum, and then we turn it in, and it's, recover, well, it's reclaimed and then re 
recycled and put back up for sale. We don't really get anything for turning it in, though, except the extra time that we get to do it. It takes a lot more time. Well, why, why then not? Remember early in our childhoods, uh, Pat, when the, the landscape was littered with Coke bottles and Pepsi bottles, and they, they started giving a return, a few uh, cents return. All of a sudden, there were out people out there picking, picking this stuff up. Right. Uh, if they were to offer you some amount of money, some incentive to recycle this stuff, uh, would that change it? Well, actually, at first they did. They were paying us uh, pennies on the pound for it, but it was something. Uh, and now they've had such a low turnover. I guess they're not making money that they've, started, they've switched from that and started charging us a uh, handling charge. Oh, God. So, in other words, there's actually a disincentive then. Absolutely. Wonderful. Hold on just a moment, Pat. We'll be right back to you. Back now to Pat. Pat, are you there? Right here. Okay. I would like to let a couple of people who, you know, whenever we discuss this subject, Pat, I get a lot of very angry faxes saying, oh, my God, you bought into this whole U.N. Uh, business about the ozone, and it's such a lie. Uh, the American people are being lied to. It's the liberals trying to change our industrial nation into something else. Um, and I'd like to give a couple of those people, if they want to, an opportunity to ask you a, a question or to or challenge you. Absolutely. Bring them on. Bring them on, huh? Mm-hmm. Okay, folks, you know the numbers. Uh, Pat is here. He says this is real. Uh, let's do that. On the wild card line, you're on the, on the air with Pat in New Orleans. Hi. Hello? Hello? Yeah, this is uh, Pete Martin. Okay. And uh, I have a question. Yes, sir. Um, it actually relates um, to uh, the, the previous guest. Well, um, then. Which then was well, well, I'm sorry, sir. Uh, the previous guest is gone. Uh, how did that happen? Because it, it, it sounded like he was coming back on again, or in fact he was holding. No, no, he was not holding. Okay. Uh, All right. I, could I get the uh, the phone number for him where I could get his two bucks, please? Uh, no, he never gave that. He gave an Internet address, sir, and that's what you're going to have to um, uh, use. East of the Rockies, you're on the air with Pat in New Orleans. Hi. Uh, yeah, I'm calling from Montana. Uh, listening to you on fifteen ten. Yes, sir. And uh, I understand from uh, some scientists and from Scallion Vault that Pinatubo and other volcanoes are putting so much more stuff into the atmosphere that's detrimental to the ozone layer that what we're doing is just a drop in the bucket. It's a good point uh, or a good question and one that is most frequently raised, uh, Pat. They say, look, CFCs are nothing, volcanoes are throwing enough up there um, to do in the ozone. Well, my reply to that is uh, over five years or less, the volcanic fallout has gone from the ozone, and it, it's able to uh, to recover. Uh, on the other hand, carbon from the CFCs remains up there indefinitely. Indefinitely? It, well, they, they haven't figured out how long it's, it's uh, lasted, and it's a growing problem. So it must be an extended amount of time. I mean, I struggle with this, Pat, uh, also. When you went to school for all this, and they taught you about all this, uh, how definitive were they in their belief that it was CFCs that were doing the damage? Well, like I said before, they uh, basically told us we have eliminated all other possibilities. 
There is nothing else going on in the world that could get that much. They know carbon is the problem, the carbon atom, stealing the, uh, the oxygen atom from the ozone. Uh, but they just will not come out and say that uh, CFC venting is doing it, although the EPA did get pretty hardline about it, and we uh, came under regulation, quite hard regulation, all at once. All right. Uh, west of the Rockies, you're on the air with Pat in New Orleans. Uh, would have been. East of the Rockies, you're on the air with Pat in New Orleans. Uh, hello. Yes, this is Randy in Oklahoma City. Yes, hi, Randy. Hi. And I work with uh, Ozone at the uh, Oklahoma City Quarter Treatment Plant, first uh, pilot plant there. But in any case, how the ozone is replenished in their outer atmosphere, it's from the uh, ultraviolet light that creates it. Whenever you run off your, uh, <clears throat> you get at the copying machine, you'll get that scent. That's ozone scent. Now I just want to throw that into you. All right. So you're saying copying machines and that sort of thing? Yeah, or? they do create it, but that won't go to the atmosphere and help build that up because it won't last very long. And the lightning also. All right. I've, I've heard of uh, projects uh, that actually talk about launching rockets or even launching uh, rockets from high-altitude aircraft to try and replenish uh, the, the ozone that is in the ozone layer. Have you heard about that, Pat? Yeah, I did hear something about that. So maybe we better begin thinking about something like that. First-time caller line, you're on the air with Pat New Orleans. Hi. Good morning. I'm calling from Houston. Yes, sir. My question is this. Is there anything that will correct the the, the fact that the, the ozone is depleting? Is there anything we can do? Will it ever get done? Or are we just going to head on on the same course that we're, we're having where we're just going to deplete it entirely? <laughs> That's a tough question for a guy in the air conditioning business. You want to try? Go, go ahead, Pat. Um, if we all stopped today and not another pound was vented into the atmosphere, 10 or 15 years down the road, what we had left might start building back up. But uh, from from all evidence I've seen, we're definitely not all, as United States citizens and, and well, the United States companies will stop, but uh, the second and third world countries won't. They'll grow from it, and we'll die. <laughs> Suppose, uh, what did they tell you, uh, Pat, about uh, the complete loss of our ozone layer. Suppose we were to actually lose our ozone layer. It depleted and went away. Uh, could we survive? I really don't believe we could. Maybe if we went underground, possibly. I don't think we could live underground very long. Another thing that I've never fully understood, Pat, is the relationship between the depleting ozone layer and general global warming. Is there supposedly a relationship um, there is evidence that points to that. Um, I believe it all ties in there. I, I believe the ozone is depleting, and that's causing that, and also the, the increased seismic activity and, and everything you talked about tonight, really. It all ties in. Yeah, I have this funny feeling you might say that. Uh, west, west of the Rockies, you're on the air with Pat in New Orleans. Uh, hi, Pat. How you doing? Hi. Both of you. I live at 19 degrees north latitude. About uh, 155 degrees west longitude. There's a volcano out here called Kilauea. Uh -huh. And it's been erupting for 14 years. Every day it pumps out over 500 tons of hydrogen sulfide. And when the uh, 
Lava gets down to the ocean and produces hydrogen chloride. All that stuff is going into the atmosphere over the last, uh, well, since 83. So uh, CFCs, uh, like the previous caller said, drop in a bucket. So you just you don't believe the whole thing? No, and I don't think that CFCs would probably be good for the uh, ozone layer. Well, you don't realize the amount that are being vented also. Uh, bakeries and big factories sometimes spend thousands and thousands or even hundreds of thousands of, of pounds a day just because it's cost-effective to them to do that other than shut down and repair the leaks. Well, the volcano, as I just told you, for the last, uh, since 83, January 3rd, 1983, hundreds of tons a day coming out of Kilauea into the atmosphere. But how long does that stuff stay up there? That's the question. Well, it mixes it. Well, so far today, we've had kind of no winds around the big island down here. And uh, we have a phenomenon called VOG. And it's been hanging around, making it... It makes it look like uh, Los Angeles, unfortunately, <laughs> until the trade winds come. And uh, we're, we're talking uh, hundreds of times more pollutants into the air from not only from Pinatubo, but there's other volcanoes around the Ring of Fire. Uh, there was one that went off down in the South Pacific a couple months ago making a new island. And there's just plenty of them. See, these are just, uh, like you say, uh, thousands of pounds. No comparison to hundreds of tons every day. In other words, uh, okay, well, I appreciate the call, obviously, from the large island of Hawaii. He's saying that He's saying, in essence, uh, what a lot of conservatives argue, that uh, what man does is just uh, absolutely nothing compared to what Mother Nature is doing. How do you, how do you argue with that, Pat? Well, let me say this. Uh, volcanoes erupt, and most of what comes out of them stays in the lower atmosphere. It doesn't reach the upper ozone, and uh, where the ultraviolet rays are constantly building and destroying ozone. The carbon atom actually raises very stably. That's the problem with the Freon. It's so stable, it stays together for so long that it finally reaches the upper echelon and, and finally gets broken apart. All the damage is being done from the outside in by the carbon atoms, whereas everything the planet is doing is happening from the inside out, and most of the effects come back down to the planet rather than go up. And one might also argue that uh, volcanism has been going on and was, in fact, more active... Uh, I suppose many years before we ever even thought to measure or even look at the ozone layer. So if that was depleting and killing it, it, it why it ought to be gone by now? Really? So listen, Pat, I, I thank you for joining us. I'm going to run along because I've got a newscast coming up. But um, I really did want to hear from somebody in the business. You're in the business, and that's your view. And um, it's funny. I, I would have thought that somebody in your business would have thought this whole ozone thing was a big conspiracy to uh, cost a lot of people a lot of money and, you know, go to other substances to air condition, and there's a million conspiracy theories out there, but you don't think it's a conspiracy, do you? Well, at first, most of us did, um, but once we learned about it and saw the facts and were presented with all the evidence, a lot of us made the decision that it, it really was the problem. And I don't want to be a part of destroying the ozone layer. Pat, thank you. Thank you. Take care. That's Pat. He's in the air conditioning business in uh, the Big Easy, Houdat country. And I thought I'd bring him on and let him tell you what he thinks. As for me, 
I just don't know. We'll be back. You're listening to Art Bell somewhere in time. Tonight featuring a replay of Coast to Coast AM from September 14th, Somewhere in time on Premier Radio Networks. Tonight, an encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM from September 14th, 1995. I've got another fax here on the ozone, and uh, I'm going to read it to you. And if you want to argue with it, uh, you're welcome to. I don't think I do. I think this business on the ozone is one that I buy into. Uh, I do believe the uh, depletion is measurable, has been measured. Uh, some of our best scientists uh, agree that it is occurring. I don't know that it's CFCs, and I can't guarantee it's not volcanoes. I just think that the measurements of the depletion are real, and therefore we as the people who walk around down here need to pay attention to it. And I'll, I'll get to the facts in just a moment. very interesting. And I also want to mention that uh, our network has made a decision, a very bold decision, to publish some of the most incredible photographs you've ever seen in your whole life. The photographs of the crash debris at Roswell slash Socorro. I have no idea what to call it, and I don't know what crash it is. I can tell you this. In the photographs, you will see the I-beams with the glyph inscriptions on them. In the other photograph, you will see the panels from the boxes designed to be used by creatures with six fingers. These will be clear, distinct photographs. They will shock you. They will add to the credibility of um, the Roswell photographs that we published the previous month. If you order now, and, of course, we're way ahead on this now, but if you order now, you will indeed get that issue, and, and you call the same number to get our newsletter, which is presently $29.95 for a year. That price is going up. It's a damn good time to order. The number, again, same number, to order a program or to order um, the, um, the newsletter is 1-800-917-4278. 
All right, here we go. Very quickly, there has been a big, they say, break in Bosnia. The Serbs, in a late-night breakthrough, apparently have agreed to pull their guns back from Sarajevo. They say they can do it in six days. We have agreed to a 72-hour cessation in the bombing. Now, if this leads to a comprehensive peace, it was announced that this is what scares the hell out of me, and, and I have been telling you this right along, but it is now announced that 18,000 American soldiers will be required to go into Bosnia to police the peace. In other words, once we have successfully bombed them into an agreement to divide what used to be Yugoslavia into ethnic uh, areas, 18,000 Americans will be required to go and keep the peace for ever, I guess. Because all of history teaches us the moment we leave, the moment the iron fist, whether it's ours, as in NATO's, or the Soviet Union's, which is what used to keep the peace over there, the moment that hand leaves, the ethnic war will begin again. So, to me, it looks as though we are one step closer to solidifying what is going to be absolute madness for America. And I'm sorry to have to tell you. So we may have bombed them into a sort of temporary uh, uh, submission. And then we're going to have to send our men over there to police all this. And we're going to be li liked there about as much as the British are liked in Ireland. We are making a terrible, terrible mistake. Now, with regard to what you heard from Australia earlier, and what you heard uh, from not quite a layman, a man in the air conditioning business about CFCs and uh, the ozone and all the rest of it and the global warming and Stan talked about the hot spots that uh, he can uh, verify and has verified and the earth changes coming and all the rest of it. Earthquakes in the center of the country yesterday, not big ones. South of um, Mexico City, a really big one, 7.2 on the Richter scale. You in California know what's been going on in central California, a, a rash of small earthquakes. We are, uh, in my opinion, and I'm not a visionary, I'm just a guy who interviews people, some of them strange, some of them believable, some not, but they all seem to point in the same general direction of something building. Whether you want to talk about somebody, the, uh, uh, the quality of Gordon Michael Scallion, or any of the myriad of other guests that I've had on, don't you feel it? Don't you feel it? I do. We're building towards something. It is indeed, for the lack of a better word, a quickening, some kind of quickening. And I've been getting faxes all day long on the earthquakes, the hurricanes. Hurricane Maryland, by the way, now gathering strength and speed past Barbados and Martinique, headed toward the same poor islands that took a battering last week. 
We are having one of the worst hurricane seasons in all of recorded history. It may, in fact, be that before it's over. O.J. Simpson, the prosecution is about done. They actually may rest today, or Monday at the latest. Uh, yesterday, a prosecution witness took issue with Dr. Henry Lee, well-respected, who presented evidence suggesting there may have been a second uh, killer. He disputes that, said no. Uh, these footprints indeed are not footprints, not, but rather the imprint of Ron Goldman's blue jeans. I thought it was rather effective. The defense is... Uh, the defense right now is on the ropes, I, I think. And the defense needs a desperate move. They need a big finish. They are going to have an opportunity. Their uh, case in chief has not been rested. So, in other words, they're going to be able to come back and do something. And they better do something. It is said O.J. Simpson is indeed depressed thinks his chances of an outright acquittal have slipped or are slipping away quickly. There was somebody who faxed us a most intriguing fax yesterday about something O.J. Simpson or the defense team might pull. And here is a follow-up fax. Art, that was an interesting proposition a faxer put forward last night regarding the possibility of O.J. taking the stand. Then taking the Fifth Amendment during cross-examination. I ran it by a paralegal friend in Sacramento, and we came up with an interesting scenario. There is a distinct possibility O.J. will take the stand if Judge Ito denies the defense motion to allow testimony from FBI agent Fred Whitehurst. That's another story. After direct examination, O.J. could mouth the exact words proposed by the faxer. In other words, I assert my right to take the fifth, just like M Mark Furman did. Marsha Clark would, of course, go ballistic. Judge Ito would have to tell O.J. he had waived his Fifth Amendment rights and must testify. However, the cat would be out of the bag. The jury would know the truth about Furman. Ito could instruct the jury to disregard the remark, but it would be for naught. O.J. would then be forced to submit to cross-examination but with an unnerved, off-balance, and largely ineffective Marsha Clark. He might be found in contempt, but the maximum sentence would be six months. If he were acquitted on the murder charges, he'd have to be credited for time already served in the county jail. If he continued to refuse to answer questions, he could get six months on each count. But he could afford to work in a couple of other items the judges ruled inadmissible without risking additional jail time. One final thought. We've heard O.J. did poorly on mock cross-examination. You've remarked on how Johnny Cochran always seems to know how to push Marsha Clark's buttons to get an emotional reaction. Yeah, he does. Could it be he's doing this in order to show O.J. how to handle her in the event... He does need to testify. So, I don't know. We talked about welfare. If you've got continuing comments on that, uh, we had a big row about that yesterday, and you're certainly welcome to.
The judge in the Oklahoma City bombing case, get this, refused to step down despite requests from both the defense and the prosecution. Instead, he's moved the case to Lawton, Oklahoma. I've got a lot of listeners in Lawton, Oklahoma, and I presume you will keep us uh, very well, uh, indeed, caught up on what's going on in Lawton, Oklahoma. All right, in just one moment, I've got a lot of catch-up to do. Uh, we are going to open the phone lines. You know what the numbers are, and we're going to do, for the balance of the morning, two-way talk radio. Don't go away. <laughs> Balance of the night, ladies and gentlemen, belongs to you. Open lines, wild card line, you're on the air. Good morning. Hello, Art. Um, Hi. My name is Mark. I'm from Grants Pass, Oregon. Hi, Mark. And I was wondering, um, I'm going to be moving within the next couple of days down to uh, California, Southern California. How do, you, how, how do you feel about going uh, the other way? I mean, a lot of people are leaving California and going to Oregon, and I you're know. going from Oregon to California. Well, um, I'm basically leaving because some of the the employment where I'm at right now isn't uh, isn't too great. <laughs> so um, I'm probably going to be going down there to uh, look for work. And I heard it's not too bad down there well, as far as employment. <laughs> I've, I've never asked it the other way around, but it might be fun to do. All right. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you. Take care and uh, good luck. Have a good move. You can uh, take us with you. We'll be there. You know, I, I, I just, I, I don't know. I listened to people like Stan from Australia earlier. And um, I listened to people with respect to the ozone and global warming. And I have this, uh, I know that the temptation for a lot of you is to say it's totally Looney Tunes. And I get faxes saying it is totally Looney Tunes. And I realize that at times a lot of it sounds like it or the global warming, the volcanic um, action, the earth movement we're getting, the um, apparent warming of the ocean. Stan made a lot of reference uh, to that. The larger hurricane seasons, the disruptions we're going through, and I must tell you that I don't buy into it totally. But I do have a nagging feeling inside that something's coming. Something evil comes this way. Something is going to happen, and I can't shake it. I just can't shake it. Whether it's Scallion or any of the rest of them, they're all pointing the same way. And uh, there's got to be some sort of collective wisdom uh, in that, or not. But I, I, I've got a lousy little feeling the answer is yes. First time caller line, you're on the air. Oh, yes, Art. Uh, this is Dave in Sarasota, Florida. Hello, Dave. How are you? Fine. Um, I listen to your program uh, just about every day, or every night, I mean. And um, one of the things, uh, or what we hear a lot about, is the quickening. Yes. And uh, I, um, like you, believe there's something happening. There but is. I also believe that uh, the world probably needs a sign of something good happening. Okay? That'd be nice. What would you think, and this is a what if, if there was a a new substance developed that cured all the major diseases out there and conditions, what do you think that would do for the world? 
alleviate a lot of human suffering? I think it would give, also give uh, a lot of hope. I agree. And I think the children... Uh, but, I mean, uh, there are a lot of what-ifs. I mean, are you, are you suggesting there is such a thing? Uh, yeah, I'd like to fax you some information. By all means. Okay. I don't I'm, you know I'm open to anything. <laughs> okay, I know. I get I get shot full of holes for it, but I'm open to anything. I'll listen to anything. So yeah, fax me, write me, whatever you want to do. Okay, what's the fax? Area code seven oh two seven two seven eight four nine nine. Now you've got to limit it to three pages, otherwise my fax machine will not spit it out. It goes in <laughs> it goes into memory first, so limit it to three pages. Okay, thank you. you. Would, please, thank you very much for the call. All right, here's the facts I was telling you about. Dear Art, I hope I can write this without sounding too technical. Please accept my apologies for the terms and descriptions. I am a chemistry and biology scholar, and I'd like to clear up some gross discrepancies and untruths being told. The ozone layer is millimeters thick and tens of thousands of feet up most compounds and gases cannot reach that high. Only aromatic compounds like chloral, fluoral carbons, CFCs, can rise to such a great height. Global wind patterns are a bit more complex than that as well. We cannot replenish the ozone layer due to the thin nature and unstable compound composition. The artificially added ozone would not remain stable. Once the CFC reaches a height where UV rays can strike or affect it, ultraviolet rays energize it and turn it into an aromatic organoacid. One chlorine atom or more is freed from the molecule, and the unstable ozone molecules in the ozone layer are more likely to reattach themselves to the CFC radical molecule. Once the CFC radical binds to the single oxygen atom, that ozone molecule is considered depleted. What is left is O2, which cannot remake ozone by itself. Volcanoes do not deplete the ozone layer. They cannot create gases or compounds which reach the ozone layer, and even if they did, they would not deplete ozone. At the most, carbon dioxide from volcanoes would contribute to global warming. But that is a completely separate issue from ozone depletion. We can live in a warmer climate. We cannot live if our flesh is killed by UV rays or if our animals and ecosystems are mutated beyond viability. That's from Columbia, Missouri. Thank you. And again... Um, I don't know whether I buy into it or not. I'm not a scientist. I could not have done what this gentleman just did by fax. I don't have the knowledge to do that. I simply continue to research and look into this whole business about ozone and global warming, which he suggests is a separate issue, and I'm watching our ecosystem. And I have sort of a collective feeling that we're... Um, headed in a difficult direction, and, and that, that's pulling my word punches. East of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hi. Yes, yeah, sorry. Let me shut off my radio. Sure, thank you. Yeah, 
All right, why don't you get some, like, high school kid to uh, answer your phones for you? I mean, you're making, like, $20 billion off all that nonsense you're selling. No, I'm not. For God's sakes. No, I'm not. You live in a trailer. You drive around the Geo Metro. I mean, for heaven's sakes already. And what happened with Cal Ripken? How come you didn't bring him up at all? Cal Ripken? Yes, Cal Ripken Jr., the Iron Horse. Yes. I don't hear you mention the, the, maybe the greatest feat in baseball history. I don't hear you bring that I, up. That's just because I'm bored by baseball. I think baseball is boring as hell. Well, but but having some lunatic on from Australia telling me about uh, Martians and stuff, that's, that's real interesting. I don't think you mentioned Martians. Well, whatever. I mean, the same old thing, you know, every time with... Uh, with <laughs> That was intelligent. Um, you know, uh, that was very intelligent. Now, I just, I, I lay out open lines, and uh, if you want to call up and act like that guy did, uh, you can do it. I'll put you on the air. That's what this show is all about. Uh, when it's open lines, it's open lines. And um, what is fascinating to one person, Cal Ripken or whatever it is, is not another's cup of tea. And uh, so I will accept uh, the criticism, and I will also continue to do as I have done, and I will continue to present, I will continue to present you with things that may challenge you, uh, may make you angry, may make you sound like that last caller. I don't know. But I will t continue to try and challenge you, and um, I'm going to challenge you with things that you will not hear elsewhere. And if I take shots for that uh, from this guy or anybody else, well, that's all right. That's what I'm here for. I'm like a big old pin cushion. It's okay. I'll live through it. As for the rest of it, I'm not so sure about that. All right, we're going to pause here at the bottom of the hour. You're listening to the largest live overnight talk show in America, Coast to Coast AM. You're listening to Art Bell, somewhere in time on Premier Radio Networks. Tonight, an encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM from September 14th, Coast AM from September 14th, 1995. Good morning, everybody. I'm Art Bell. Good to be here. Great to be here, actually. It's a beautiful night in the desert, and I hope where you are as well. We know it was beautiful in Perth, Australia. <laughs> oh, my. 
sometimes I don't believe myself. I'm actually most times willing to do about anything on the radio, anything that's different. I like difference. And uh, the ratings of this program and the reach of this program and the interest in this program prove that the audience does as well. Um, unscreened, basically uncensored calls, with the exception, of course, of last names and things that could be litigated and stuff like that we don't put on the air. But otherwise, uncensored, unscreened, just open lines. When will the world learn that is the most interesting kind of talk radio? I don't know. I did a whole chapter of it in my new book. And I bet, uh, I bet Sandy uh, down in uh, uh, Sandy down in uh, San Diego is going to be one of the first to order. Sandy, I'll send you a personally autographed version. <laughs> there you go, Sandy. You've got your response. Back to the lines, wild card line. You're on the air. Hi. Uh, Charlie, California. Mm. Hello. Uh, the uh, guy you had on earlier, the uh, Australian guy. Oh yes. Yeah, guys like that really make me sick. I know. I mean, well. You know, and I understand where these guys are coming from. If you want to, if you want to sell books, and you want to be known. You can't get on the radio and say, you know. You know what? He wasn't pumping his book at all. As a matter of fact, he didn't. Let me tell you, Charlie. No, let me tell you, so that you really do understand. Um, he didn't give out any address to buy any of his books. He didn't give out any numbers. He didn't even know he was going to go on the air. Well, and, 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 wait a minute, until I called that. him. He sent me email. He didn't ask to be a guest. I thought he was interesting, and so I put him on. Oh, let me take all that back. Let me just say that these guys who constantly talk about how terrible the future is going to be, I think that they unnecessarily uh, alarm people. You know, certainly we are faced with uh, dramatic environmental problems, and most of them are caused by uh, man himself. But these are problems that we can deal with if we choose to deal with them, and we still have time to do that. We can, I, Charlie, we can deal with what we can control. That's, that's, absolutely, that's absolutely true, but there are no, there are no environmental problems that are, going to cause, that are going to cause mass extinction, massive loss of life. I don't believe that. And uh, for people who, people who come on the radio and say that thing, they're absolutely absurd. And I'll tell you something. Well, it is a, anybody who does not believe that massive earth movement is possible. Uh, massive I, I earth think... movement is absolutely possible. Yes, it and is. It's constant. It's been constant for years. But certainly, certainly, if you look at the, the uh, deaths that have occurred, you haven't had, like, losses of uh, hundreds of thousands of people in one end. You've had thousands. But I think the thing is this. I envy any child born right now who will live well into the next century. If you look at, if you look at the things that we've done in this century, going from create, creating planes to, to uh, creating uh, vehicles. Oh, that, it's amazing. It is absolutely incredible. It is. And I think that in the next century you are going to see things that will, that will be beyond belief. And I think we have challenges, but I think we're capable of overcoming those challenges. And it's just all of these guys who have all who are down on down on man. Yes, we've done. We're capable of doing terrible things, but the the reverse is true also. We are capable of doing great things, and I think that we we tend to forget that. I have a question for you. It is a political question, so you should enjoy it. Is what uh, NATO is doing right now in Bosnia, in your mind, a great thing? I, I think that, that what you're seeing after the Soviet Union collapse is you're seeing nations finally coming together and realizing, and yeah, NATO is young and it's making a lot of stupid mistakes and it's, 
but it's learning. And I think that 20, 30 years from now, no, you're not going to have this conspiracy world government, but I think you're going to have governments around the world realize that, uh, that, we need to, that we need at places to work together. And I think that in the long run, countries working together is positive, not negative. And these conspiracy nuts who say that countries should work independently, are, we, independently we've tried that. And I think working together is a positive thing. I'm not against working together. I'm asking you whether NATO or sending 18,000 American troops into Bosnia to police uh, an ethnically, geographically separated enforced peace is a good idea. Might not, might not be a good idea, but I think these people constantly criticize NATO. You know something? You're seeing some tremendously horrible things happening there, and I and I tell you this: at least these people are trying. And I'll tell you what: why why weren't we doing that in, in the 1940s when uh, Hitler was uh, butchering all these uh, Jews? I all think, right. I think, well, I think, of course, we did finally uh, enter the fray, as you well know. Charles. Yeah, but it took it took a bomb being dropped on us to do that. And I think the I think the world philosophy is changing, and I think that's good. All right. Uh, thank you very much for the call. Um, I think what we're about to do in Bosnia is tragically, profoundly wrong. I do think that we are probably capable of bombing them to the table. We've done that. We're probably capable of enforcing uh, a peace, making them all sit down and sign a peace agreement. And then we're going to march 18,000 of our people into that country to enforce it, to keep it. And it's going to be the sorriest damn thing we've ever done. It's going to be like, uh, well, I, I, I won't use that analogy. I, I'm just telling you that it's not going to work, in my opinion. First time caller line, you're on the air. Hello. Good morning, Art. Good morning to you. This is uh, Bob from San Diego. Hi, Bob. And uh, I had a few topics I want to talk to you about. Yes? I want to say the best two for last. So first I bring up uh, President Clinton. Yes, sir. Okay. Uh, if you notice since the... Uh, his campaign when he was, you know, before he was first elected and everything, till now, I mean, this guy's nose is getting bigger. Yep. I mean, that'd be something to put in the newsletter. <laughs> you know, you take pictures of him as he went along. Well, by the end of his second term, he's going to need wheels out on the end of it. Yeah, if you put in your newsletter, like I a, mean... Like a B-52, you know. And I don't know if it's a Pinocchio theory or uh, maybe he's a chronic alky, because that... Booth is the only thing he hasn't uh, he hasn't downed since he's been in there. You know everything else he has. Maybe not booze. I wouldn't know that. Well, uh, tobacco, firearms, alcohol. He, he hasn't he hasn't uh, downed at all. Well, I wouldn't know. Well, I wouldn't know for sure, but I mean, we know the main things that he did. All right. Well, what, okay, what I'll get I'll get him out of the way. Okay, the second thing about the uh, the alien things, you know, that's uh, really intriguing. Yes. And, uh, you know, they're, they're talking about those boxes they had. Yes. And I've been thinking about it, you know, even before I found out that they had the, uh, you know, the six-finger uh, things on them. Yes. And uh, I was thinking, you think maybe that could be something like maybe, uh, since they didn't have no, like, genitalia, you know, noticeable anyway. I mean, you think maybe they, they had a, like a some kind of, that was a, some kind of life pod for like a, a fetus 
for like uh how they're doing like some kind of test tube thing. Yeah, you know, I, 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 I understand now. where you're going, but I think you're you're going around the bend there. It could look, it could be anything. What do I know? All I know is this alien autopsy film, for all the screeching and screaming that I've heard about how silly it is, not there has not been one serious hole shot in the whole thing yet. Not one. And I think Bob Shell came on here and added a lot of credibility to it. And the photographs that we're about to publish definitely do. You can talk about mutations and genetic um, mutation and why that poor being who's really just a human being you can talk about that all you want, but when you see the next photographs that we're going to publish, the ones uh, with the panels from the boxes designed for six fingers, if you don't sit there and give some serious thought to the possibility that what you're seeing is as real as can be, then you're just simply not an open-minded person at all, or you have another agenda. Uh, this clearly, clearly with the evidence we have so far is either... Um, proof of an alien visit, which is not exactly a minor story, or the most involved, complex, long-term hoax that's ever been pulled off, period. Either way, I calculate it to be a very large story, and I lean toward authenticity. West of the Rockies, you're on the air. All right? Yes. Hi. Hello. Well, listen, will you forgive me? I was supposed to use the new caller line, but I'm at work where I didn't want to put it on their bill. Well, that's fine. Uh, oh, good. I, I just wanted to compliment you. I haven't called a talk show in 15, 16 years, and I, I know you hear this a lot, but I really think you're, if I may use an analogy, like actors, of which there's only been three or four, that are, they call them a man's man, meaning that both female and males like them equally, and they say that's kind of the test whether you're, <laughs> I'm more nervous than I thought I would be here. But I just really think that there's a spirit to your show that is much greater even than the apparent content, which is really good. I really haven't called a talk show in about 16 years, and I did a little teeny talk show once that was really silly, but you've helped me there, too, because I've been doing respiratory therapy for about 16 years. And mm. This was following Ted Kimball, who built the audience up for me. It was just a fluky little thing in Salt Lake. He was the partner to Herb Jepko. Oh, and he Herb built up a huge audience of geriatrics and everybody else. But I maintained that audience for a short while, and had a practically a 40 rating, but that sounds like braggadocio. Anyway, I just wanted to tell you that I am listening. I think you're wonderful, and I hope you won't get discouraged because there's nothing like this anywhere, and I, I listen to it addictively every night, and that's, that's all I wanted to tell you. Thank you, my friend. That's why I'm doing it. That's why I'm doing it, because there really is nothing else like it. Uh, there's room for all kinds of talk radio in the spectrum. And some nights uh, will probably sound like other talk radio. Last night we did. Talked about welfare all night. Tonight we don't. Tomorrow night I have no idea what we do. Oh, you know what we might do tomorrow night? We might do truth or trash again. Would you like that? Sure got an awful lot of requests for it. <laughs> I don't want to do the same thing. I'm not going to do the same thing. And so inevitably, um, some nights you're going to really like me and some nights you're going to hate me because some nights you'll like what I'm doing and some nights you won't. I'm not going to do the same thing repetitively as so many others are doing. I don't uh, denigrate them for it. I think they're going to be sorry. 
I think talk radio in general is going to be sorry if it goes marching down a singular path. It needs to be more varied. And uh, so I'll continue to supply that variation. And judging from ratings, judging from the amount of people listening and the growth of the program, it's popular. Increasingly popular as more and more people discover it. I'm very thankful for that. We'll be right back. West of the Rockies, you're on the air. Good morning. Art. Yes. The ozone problem. There's yes. a lot of facts they don't tell you. And if you know them and you got common sense, you can figure it out. I disagree with a lot of these people, even that facts you read. Ozone is, has a half-life of 45 minutes. It's being created all the time by the sun and oxygen. Uh, the reason we have the ozone over the North Pole, you live in Alaska, isn't it dark quite, quite a few months of the year there? Absolutely. The sun doesn't create the ozone there. And then alternatively light um, during the other half. Right, and then the ozone hole is smaller. It's larger in the winter. Well, okay. Uh, yes, arguably, the ozone hole gets larger and smaller. It is true. And but uh, since we have been measuring it, uh, it has been increasing in size. Um, and the present measurements show it to be roughly the size of Europe over the Antarctic, which is big, the biggest ever measured. And there is a verifiable... Uh, U.S. satellite verifiable 10% reduction over our heads. Now, that's not imagined. That's real. It's not the fluorocarbons, though. Well, like I, I, I look, you, I, you can argue that. That's fine. I don't know what it is myself. Well, let me tell you something. What do you think it is? It's a depletion of oxygen. It's in direct correlation with the oxygen depletion on the Earth, the green. We're losing the green belts. Okay. All right. And... Uh, there's no way the fluorocarbons are going to get up there. Uh, they may say they're there. I'd like for them to go up there and bring some back and show them, but I wouldn't believe them anyway because carbon's heavier than air. How would it get up there? Well, do you agree that um, uh, that there is a reduction in progress? In progress? In progress. Uh, yes, and I... I wouldn't say that it hasn't happened before and it won't happen a hundred times more. It's a natural cycle of the earth. Well, I hope you're right. I really hope you're right. Well, I'd like to have somebody uh, prove, come up with some facts instead of, I don't know. But... Well, the, you know what the problem is, though, sir? The scientists, the people that have, sure, much more knowledge than I do and study this, uh, are arguing with each other about it. So... You know, I mean, who, I mean, really, who are you and I? Let me drop one thing in here before I leave, Art. Sure. It's kind of strange that Dow Chemicals patents up on this. In the last four, five, six years, we've been hearing about this ozone depletion. Uh, you know. In other words, time to pick up a patent on uh, some other substance that you can then make money on. And do right? away with everything that you made money on so nobody I, else can do it. I understand uh, exactly what you're saying. Thank you. He's laying. A, he's trying to lay a foundation. I watch too much OJ. Trying to lay a foundation that it is a financial matter that the company that had the patent on uh, a Freon, I guess, um, 
now is, would lose it and other people would produce it. And so it's the conspiracy theory, the, um, the economic conspiracy theory. And it's, you know, it's, I suppose, as good as anybody else's theory, but that's all it is. And, and again, I say, and I get faxes on both sides of this question and lots of information, but the scientists are arguing with each other about this. What's causing it? Not so much the fact that it actually is measurably less, but what's causing it. Uh, either way, uh, it would seem to have possible dire consequences for us if the process continues. West of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hello. Yeah, hi. I'm going to grab my radio. All right. Grab it. And when you do, turn it off. Oh, it's just Samson listening to you. Well, I guess on Como here in uh, Las Vegas. K-O-M-O? Yeah, well, KVG doesn't carry your last hour, so that's right. So we have to uh, we have to really search. <laughs> yes, sir. But uh, yeah, we're on. Uh, I'm on IRC channel, uh, pound sign art uh, hyphen bell. So we're just saying hi to you this evening. You know, um, I, c I couldn't believe that guy you had on uh, talking about. Uh, what is he? An air conditioner repairman? Yep. And, and well, no, he no, uh, he owns an air conditioning company. Oh, uh, whatever. Well, I mean, that's you should have stopped and asked them to give you one example of this global warming. I mean, he, I, I imagine he would have been really hard pressed to come up with something. Well, he didn't talk much about global warming. He uh, the most he said, as I recall, is that he thought there might be a connection. Um, I know a lot of people dispute that, but there are others with more scientific prowess than I've got, and maybe even you, who think there is a connection. So I'm I'm darned if I know. Well, the bottom line is, if you raise the, I think I think if you raise the the global degree by by one, if you raise, you know, raise it by even by one degree, the flooding would be so, you know, it, billions would die. I mean, it's it's. Uh... Well, so it's important. In other words, if there is actually a warming going on. It's not. It's a non-trivial matter, correct? The evidence for it isn't there. That's my point. Uh huh. Okay. And I'm thinking. I'm thinking this thing has gone the gamut. It's gone from global cooling to global warming, and you know, and who's making who's making uh, you know money off the agenda? I was talking with a guy once who's stationed up in uh, in the Arctic, and his job was to um, meter this. Uh, this depletion, you know, for this very thing. I, I don't know if he worked for the government or if it was a private agency or what. Right. But, uh, you know, he, he told me flat out, he said, you know, this is a bunch of bunk. This whole, uh -huh. this whole... A lot of people believe that. Well, I mean, no, but this is a guy that's in the know. Who's... And maybe, maybe the guy you know who's in the know is absolutely right. Maybe it is a bunch of bunk. Well, it, I, I'm beginning to believe it is, isn't it? You know, if they, there's too much, there's too much... Um, Scaring of the masses, and then and then profiting from from the that's right. You know. All right, sir. I've got to leave it there. We're at the bottom of the hour. I appreciate your call, and um, I don't necessarily disagree with you. I'm just not sure. We'll be right back. You're listening to Art Bell somewhere in time on Premier Radio Networks. Tonight, an encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM from September 14th, 1995.
Radio Networks presents Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. Tonight's program originally aired September 14th, 1995. Good morning, everybody. Good to be here. Here's a nice fact. Here I I wanted to let you know, get this. I plan to, or at least I am hopeful to get one of your autographed books. I have already gone to the 24-hour post office and expressed my order to Paper Chase Press. I can't wait. I hope this doesn't signify the quickening that I'd get up at 3 o'clock in the morning, drive 20 miles to order your book. I love the show. You're the greatest blah, blah, Brett in uh, Utah. <laughs> That's really nice, Brett. Thank you. Um, yeah, that probably is the quickening <laughs> that you run out in the middle of the night to do that. Um, I'll do it one more time. I'll give you my address. I'll give you the address. This is a, you know, like a one-time offer, um, and it's for the first thousand books ordered. There'll be autographed copies. That's it. One thousand in one. Forget it. Therefore, you should act fairly quickly. Uh, it is Paper Chase Press, the address. The price of the book is $24.95 plus $4 shipping and handling, a total of $28.95, 2895 First thousand get the autographed copies. Uh, Wildcard Line, you're on the air. Howdy, Art. It's Sheet in San Francisco. How you doing? Uh, I just got off the uh, yeah, FM band. You you were on the radio tonight in other areas besides when you're on live. It's pretty amazing. You're just nationwide news. KPFA is a station in Berkeley, and they have a program running for many years called Over the Edge. It's run by guys who are part of a kind of a radio troupe performance band you, called Negative Land. You know what? I've heard about this. Right. Those are the guys that did the hoax a few years ago when they... Uh, ran a story that uh, some kid in Minnesota had hacked up his parents with an axe while listening to one of their songs and uh, got Rolling Stone and all these major mass media to believe it. Well, the uh, are, these pe- are these the people that are running some of my show, or what are they doing? Right, well, what they did tonight was on the alien autopsy. It was called Autopsy Part 1, three and a half hours, and I only caught the last hour. Um, what they did is uh, take all kind of major mass media about the autopsies, clips of you interviewing Santilli on the right, air, right. Uh, clips of you with um, Bob Shell, and the guy calls in and says, Marsh, remember that guy? Martians, you guys are crazy. Why don't you grow up? And you, you know, <laughs> Yeah, it was that repeating again and again. And yeah. Stuff from the actual show and stuff that was on other radio stations that I, you know, I don't know the source of, and kind of multiple sources kind of going at once, and different elements repeating and so on and so forth to kind of hash out the, the reality of it, the mythology around it, and so forth. <laughs> you were a big part of it, and yeah. uh, it was uh, kind of interesting to just kind of tune away from you for a minute, go to KPFA, and there you were again. You know, it was like I didn't even miss you or something. So, uh, just well, they're a bunch of pirates. <laughs> That's right. Uh, sue them, the copyright, right? No, well, you got to get the information out there, and those guys have been on the air for many years. Yeah, I know they've been doing it. I've, I've heard about it from other sources, so uh, I'm kind of glad you brought it up. <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to, you know... I think I'll get through and talk to you and just tell you about that. And, you know, uh, nothing really else to say except that uh, you're doing a great job and it's uh, really you're, I think, the guy that, uh, I guess he was calling in, 
wanted to call him the first timeline, but made a mistake called West of the Rockies. He was saying that, you know, you do something really special, and that's really a lot different from a lot of what's out there. And as a media junkie, I work in politics in California and exposed to a lot of major mass media and minor mass media every day. And you really do do something that's really kind of promotes more of a pure expression of a free exchange of ideas on the radio in real time, in this time right now. And that's thank, really thank appreciable. Thank you. Thank you. That is exactly what I'm trying to, to do. And um, I'm glad that it's greeted so well. You know, it makes some people angry, but that's cool, too. I'm, I'm trying to be different. I want to be different. And I couldn't do this five hours a night if it wasn't different. If I had to come up here five hours a night and Limbaugh you to death, you know, with uh, uh, just raging about um, uh, the, the, the liberals or raging about politics, I would eventually get bored and I couldn't do it anymore. So I'm liable to do anything on any given night. I might even be considered about halfway crazy. And I know there's lots, lots of you out there who think I am. But it sure does make for fun radio and um, spontaneous radio. There's a good word for it, spontaneous. Radio should not be boringly predictable. And I shall not have it. <laughs> East of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hi. Hi. For the People member, Aurora, Colorado. Really? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Art, I agree with you on uh, on Bosnia, but I remember when we started this bombing, uh, you know, they say... By the NATO. way, when, you, when you're a member of For the People, yes. do you carry a card? Uh, well, I made my own. They don't really issue one, but... Uh, oh, you're kidding. You had to make your own card? Yes. So you're a card-carrying member, but you had to make <laughs> your own card. All right, well. Uh, about a week ago when NATO, uh, or more correctly... We wait, wait, wait. I have one other question for Certainly. you, and then, then we'll get to that. Okay. Um, if you're not a member of For the People, does that mean you're against the people? Um, I guess it could be construed that way. Oh, God. All right, well, anyway, what about... Uh, now, well, when we started this, you had uh, said that you were generally in agreement with that action. And I, I agree with the opinion you've expressed the last couple nights. I was in agreement with, you know, in other words, if we could get um, a bomb about Sarajevo and uh, get that kind of thing stopped, fine. But then to back it up, uh, make them sign a peace agreement and send in 18,000 Americans, I'm sorry, no way. Yeah, it, it's absolutely foolish. It's going to be a quagmire. Oh, yeah. And uh, not only are we looking at American kids dying over there for uh, for people who are bound and determined to decimate each other and have been for centuries. You know what, sir? I've got a... I do have a heart, and um, I'm subject to seeing, uh, you know, the, the, the mortar round landing in the middle of the shopping area in Sarajevo and saying... God, this is awful. Of course. And, and, and so I feel it like everybody else does. But uh, I guess a couple of weeks ago, I began to think of this, step back from it a little bit, and I began to consider what we're doing. Mm -hmm. we're, we're taking these people who are bound and determined to kill each other, genocide, and we're bombing them to submission. We can do that. We have that power. And we may be on the verge of having done it. And then we're going to have to go in there and enforce this ethnic geographic separation 
uh, for as long as we want the fighting to stop. And the minute we leave, it will begin again. Absolutely. It, it's inevitable, Art. And, you know, not only are we facing that, but I think that, uh, you know, we've made lifelong enemies out of the Serbs now. Uh, they have very long memories about that sort of thing. Yep. And I think they could, uh, they certainly don't have an air force to use against us, but I think they could uh, quite conceivably send a different type of bomber over here. Well, there is terrorism. Yes. You know, I, I know, and um, I just, I, I, see, I can't find the upside to it. No, I, there, there is none. It's, it's a feel-good measure, I think, and I'm not trying to belittle people who really feel a compassionate need to intervene in this. I understand the way they feel. I really do, but you laid it out beautifully as to, to what's going to happen logically. We're going to have to stay there forever if we want the fighting to stop. Yeah. And even then, it won't stop. Yeah. Well, uh, I think eventually we'll be regarded about as the uh, the English are in Ireland. Well, obviously, we will be hated. We're already hated around the world uh, to a large extent. Some of it, uh, good cause. But it, it's an absolute no-win situation, and no American should die over there. Well, um... I'm with you there. I've, I've got to run, sir. Thank you. Thank you, and good night. Um, I think a lot of Americans are going to be asking themselves as their offspring go off to police the peace in a very dangerous place how much business we have doing this. And, and we are now uh, guaranteeing 18,000 troops to go in if they manage to get this peace thing on. It's really insanity. Uh, it's insanity when you step back and you look at it. I suppose some steps uh, from a humanitarian point of view were, are justified, but this, um, the larger, the larger question and the years ahead are going to be a terror if we proceed as we appear um, appear to be right now. <laughs> East of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hi. Well, good morning. How are you? I am okay. Where are you? Fury Heights, WTAV. Yes, ma'am. Ah, first I want to say the flowers are gorgeous. Oh, absolutely fresh flowers? Yeah. Of course they are. Well, this was my second try at them. I ordered them from my mother back in, I don't remember if it was Valentine's Day or Mother's Day. And she is now in a nursing home with Alzheimer's. Oh, I'm sorry. And so... Yesterday would have been hers and my father's 65th wedding anniversary. So I decided to send some flowers. Just, you know, love you. And I instructed the nurses that I wanted one bouquet to go into her room, one bouquet to go into the nurse's station, mm-hmm. and one bouquet to go into the solarium. Mm-hmm. And so I called yesterday afternoon to check and see that they got there. Right. And they had. Right. That, well, that was Wednesday afternoon. To, and then... Talked to a nurse this morning who was on, hadn't been there yesterday. She said, I walked in and she said, I could smell those flowers 20 feet before I ever got to the nurse's station. I know. Yeah, it really is everything we say it is, ma'am. Oh, I know. They are gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. Oh, and I had a remark for the gentleman who, who talks about Cal Ripken. Oh, yes, yeah, so. <laughs> I am not a baseball, football, any sports fan. Mm. And maybe, you know, Cal Ripken maybe did a, an amazing feat. 
But I've been at my job for 44 years, and I haven't missed a day of being a wife, a mother, a doctor, a nurse, a cook, a cleaning woman, you name it. I've been doing it. And I'll, I'll just bet nobody's given you a 20-minute standing ovation. No, I mean, my kids have once in a while clapped when they <laughs> I mean, I, 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 look, I, I don't want to. Thank you. First of all, thank you for the commercial. I've got to run. Thank you for the commercial. Um, it's better than I could have said it. Look, I don't begrudge uh, Cal Ripken. I'm just not a baseball fan, that's all. And um, his attendance is laudable. And... Um, the worship he got from his fans is fine. I, I, you know, it's okay. It's just not something that flips my switch, I guess. So um, uh, I, in no way, denigrate uh, Cal Ripken. Congratulations, Cal Ripken. Now maybe that guy will be happy. I doubt it, though. Wild card line, you're on the air. Good morning, Art. I'm Hi. calling from Houston. Hello. So I have no idea what y'all are talking about, but I do have a question for you. All right. <clears throat> the... Uh, the alien autopsy? Yes, sir. If you take a look at that brain, you know, it sounds awful ridiculous to me, but it kind of looks like a like a skinned chicken, doesn't it? If you take a look at it, if you get a chance. <laughs> I, it, it really does. It's I don't... I, 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 look, I've got a very good copy. When that ran, I got my copy directly off satellite. Uh-huh. And uh, it's excellent. And I couldn't say that it looked like a skinned chicken. It does to me. It just looks like those are the legs that are there. I don't know. It just looks ah, like you, you even see chicken legs, huh? <laughs> I think it's like a Rorschach test, you know? We all see what we're going to see in it. I want to ask you something else. Any kind of question, right? You go to a psychiatrist, you hold up a little thing. What is this? Oh, alien brain. Alien brain. It's a yeah. chicken. Uh, favorite football team, Art? Um, well, you know, I wish you wouldn't ask that. Um, I, I'm now torn. I have always favored the San Diego Chargers. Okay, I like However, that. since um, the Raiders went back to Oakland, they used to be my favorite. And, and, and so I'm torn. I like San Diego and I like Oakland. Toughest quarterback you ever saw? Toughest or best? Toughest and best. Well, I don't think that's a, I don't think that's a good question with regard to quarterbacks. Um, okay. I, I, I think just best, and I think the answer is Joe Montana. I agree. Thank you, Art. You're welcome, sir. Have a good morning. West of the Rockies, you're on the air. Yes. Hello. The Italian Stallion, Portland. Hello. How you doing? Okay. Uh, I just wanted to know um, a couple things. Um, All right. Okay. You know when you get bigger, when when you get bigger. Uh, more networks or like more radio stations? Yes. Uh-huh. Um, does that mean that you add more commercials? How does that work? Well, no. Well, yes. No. Because the answer is the answer is yes and no. In other words, the more affiliates you have, uh-huh. uh, there's kind of a middle territory. The more more affiliates you have, then the greater a an ad rate you can charge for those people that advertise, right? Because you're reaching a bigger audience. I see. Because and I think you're really great. I've been listening to you many years, but, you know, I mean, you, and I think, you know, you're doing a really great job and everything, but... But we have more commercials. For one, though, I think the commercials are just getting to the point where we're only hearing about 15 minutes of you and the rest commercials, you know, I mean... That's well, it's not... What I did this morning was I spread the commercials... Uh, uh-huh. I spread the commercials from the beginning of the show because I had 
you know, I mean, I was sitting talking to a guy in Australia for Yeah, exactly. So I, see what you're I, I push some from the front toward the rear. Uh-huh. Now, as the network continues to grow, you actually soon will begin to hear possibly fewer commercials. Oh, I see. Because the ad rate will go up. And so the income derived will mean we don't have to run as many. Okay, another thing real quick. I think that we should be the police of the world. And why? you probably want to know why. Right. Because one thing, America consists with Russians, Italians, Chinese. We should be the uh, police of the world because we have all the people here in this country. And therefore, I mean, anywhere of anywhere in the place in the world. Okay, let me stop you. Now, you say because we are diversified ethnically, we should please the world. That's what you're really exactly, saying, right? Exactly, because we have okay, all stop, the stop, stop, stop. Okay. Wait. Then how can you justify going over to uh, what used to be Yugoslavia and enforcing an ethnic separation? Because it could spread to Europe, or, or, you know, and everywhere else. Because you know, I have a lot of relatives in Europe and in Italy. I, I would hate to but you're have saying, that spread you, out. Yeah, but you're saying the people with ethnic diversity should enforce ethnic separation elsewhere in the world. Yeah, but we have people that are from Croatia and Serbia here. I mean, would okay. you? Those people are concerned about their relatives over there. All right, sir. I know. I, I appreciate your call. I'm, I was trying to get you, you. In other words, you came at me by saying, uh, because we are, we have ethnic diversity here, that we should police in the rest of the world. And the kind of policing, policing uh, we're talking about doing right now in what used to be Yugoslavia, is enforcing ethnic separation the total antithesis of what this country is supposed to be. First time caller line, you're on the air. Yeah, hi, Art. This is Bob in Mississippi. Hello, Bob. Yeah, listen, I kind of heard as it faded out on uh, San Antonio station there that you had a new affiliate starting up in Mobile or somewhere in Alabama. Um, I do, yes. Um, can you give me the, can you give me the uh, number on that? The... Um, I don't know what I've done with a sheet. If you will listen uh, tomorrow morning, I would be happy. I'm looking for it like crazy. If you'll listen, I've got a million faxes here. I'm sorry. Uh-huh. It's lost in the pile. If you listen tomorrow morning, I'll get it on the air for you. Okay. Does 710 or 1110 sound familiar? I guess that's all right. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. I understand. Uh, listen, killer show tonight. I had to stay up all night. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for so the call. To it. All right, sir. Thank you. And listen tomorrow, and I'll get that on the air for you. I will. I will retrieve it. You guys have no idea. My room, by the end of the night, looks like a cyclone hit it. I mean, I've got paper everywhere. East of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hello. Yeah, hi, Art. Hi. Uh, I was just going to respond to uh, Charlie's comment uh, about there not being tens of thousands who have died in the centuries from yes. natural disasters. If you would check the World Almanac, you would find that in 1931, a flood in China took 3,700,000. Another flood in China took 200,000. A cyclone in Bangladesh took 300,000. That was in 1970. Yes, there have been many, many natural disasters. In 1991, there was another one that took 139,000. Right. And a couple of earthquakes. One in Japan in 1923 took 200,000. These are all things worth uh, noting, and uh, because we are America, 
-hmm. Because we're a nice, modern, industrial nation, uh -huh. we should not think that we are immune to those kind of natural disasters. No, we can think of ourselves as very lucky. Uh, so far. So far. So far. <laughs> so far but, yeah. but there have just been millions who have, who have died in this century from natural disasters. I just happened to pick out some of the big ones. Uh, you, you did very well. And I just thought, uh, if Charlie wants to check it out, he can pull out the World Almanac and look at it for himself. All right. Well, listen, time has evaporated, so tonight you're the lucky one. You get to say goodnight, America. Good night, America, and I love you. <laughs> that was nice. Now, see, there's a nice way to end it. Thank you all. It has been a pleasure. It was a pleasure being able to announce my book on the way. God, I'm so excited about that. 1,000, that's it. 1,000 autographed versions. And so from the high desert, good night, America.